Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And just like the promise I made during the Jessica Jones podcast I did with Justin and Chris, I am here to do a Harry Potter podcast, and it's going to be a review of the first book, uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's slash Sorcerer's Stone, depending on which region in the world you have these, this book. And then that may, this podcast may answer a few questions why I've been so Harry Potter centric for the past couple of weeks on Facebook and stuff like that. I've been questioned by some of my coworkers saying, why are you constantly quoting that? And I'm like, well, it's for a good purpose. I'm not just talking to, I'm not just talking to myself here right now. I have two guests with me. Who is with me today? Hi, Dakota Wiegand, like, you need to roll. And I'm Nikki Torres, or Nikki Muggle, if you do Facebook. If you do Facebook. If you do Facebook <laughs> or any other social media. That's that what you'd be known as. <laughs> and we are here to talk today about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the book, not the movie. We may be doing the movie in the future. But everybody, get your copy of the book ready, and let's begin. Okay, now, since we've already swung the mic towards Nikki, why don't you answer the question first? I'm, I'm trying to cut down the swing of the microphone back and forth. It was funny because during the Jessica Jones podcast, I was listening back to it, and I hear, every now and then I hear, whoosh, whoosh. And I'm like, oh, I hope nobody heard that, but apparently it did when I was listening back to it. Now, Nikki, when were you first introduced to this book series? Uh, it was actually fifth grade. It was uh, the prize in Mrs. Todd's class, and I wasn't a big reader. I actually really hated reading. And um, so I took the the book to the beach every summer, every summer, every day in the summer. And um, it took you several summers to yeah, get it done. It, took <laughs> it, it did take me the longest out of the entire series to finish. I was not about it. Um, my mom was like, "We're gonna read it together. We're gonna get through this." And uh, it took me to like the final chapters to actually get into it. And then I was like, "Oh man, I need to know more." And that's how Nikki Muggle was born. <laughs> I guess your mom probably regretted it ever since. Absolutely. <laughs> After every Harry Potter uh, merchandising item was required purchases, she was over it. <laughs> she was over it. Uh, and Dakota? Um, so I was introduced to the series about the same time, fifth, fourth or fifth grade. Um, I think it was more fifth grade. I wasn't into reading. I... Uh, I still struggle with reading a lot, mm-hmm. um, just which surprises me because you, because every now and then, like he's like, "Oh, I finished it." You fly through it, things really quickly. It depends on how much I like it. Okay, but I do struggle with. Don't make me read anything out loud. You'll you'll be here forever. Okay, but uh, yeah, fifth grade, I was in Mrs. Stream's class, and I, I've heard of the book. I tried reading the book as a kid, didn't like it. But Mrs. Stream's class had the audio tapes on uh, cassette, mm-hmm. and she had like after like class like for like 20 minutes you could do whatever the hell you wanted in the class and i was on the audio players with the big 1970s headsets that <laughs> lost the foam so it's like digging ripping into your ears but i'm here listening to jim dale read the harry potter books and i'm going i like this 
So then, do you associate pain and anguish to your ears with Harry Potter from now on? It sometimes comes back to my <laughs> depends on how, if it's a rough point or not. But um, no, but after that, I my parents were like, oh, he is actually enjoying a book. Mm-hmm. So they went out and actually continued to buy each book on the cassette tapes. Right. Um, and then usually my brother and I would end up falling asleep to the cassette tapes. And then mm-hmm. when we had to go back to re-listen to a part, mm-hmm. we rewind it and then play from where we are and then pass out wherever. Right. And how I first got introduced to this, it may have been like, remember elementary schools had book sale days, classic like um, publishing would have like all different books set up on different racks. So you can say like, oh, I want this book and this book. And I'm pretty sure I think that was one of the books I picked up, and I think my sister recommended it to me, and because she had already read it at that point, and she was already a few books into the series. My sister Stephanie, and so I think one it was it was like kind of like you. I was not the greatest reader in the world, or something like because I had learning classes with um, to help me with my reading and writing. So it was like one of those things that like I enjoyed reading. So of course, like our parents is like, of course, our kid wants to read. Like and it seems like a case for all three of us. Um, shepherded that and then just became one of those things that I ended up reading this and then right after reading Chamber of Secrets and then I think right after Chamber of Secrets I, I read like the first movie came out mm-hmm. and then it's one of those weird things I read book one and two did not read three and then picked up with Goblet of Fire I do not know why I did not read Prisoner of Azkaban up until recently when I listened to the audiobooks at work you should have been pistol whipped right on the spot well a huge Chunk of the story. Yes, and well, being a ginger to begin with, I was being pistol whipped daily anyway. Yeah, so, like, by even strangers, I was just getting accustomed to it. So, I, it wouldn't have been that uh, different for me. Now, Dakota, can you give a brief synopsis on the book Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? Okay. Uh, that was how you love to pin this on me whenever we do stuff. Together. Well, the microphone's already <laughs> facing you. Do you want me to ask Nikki? Uh, no, no, I got, I got it. I got it. I'll take this. I'll take this. All right, so it follows the, the book follows a boy named Harry Potter. You don't say. Oh my god, it's a shocker. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> but um so Harry Potter uh is a orphan child who lives with their, his aunt, uncle and cousin who are the worst people literally on the face of the earth. And when he turns 11, he finds out that he is a wizard and not only a wizard, but a famous wizard who axed off the dark the most evilest of evil people ever. And then uh, he had no idea because he was a baby. Mm-hmm. So nobody still really understands except the Dumbledore, the headmaster of Hogwarts, has a guess, but that's later on. Right. So he goes to Hogwarts, does all these shenanigans, finds out more about wizarding, and realizes, holy shit, this is not just the, this is not just saying hocus pocus. And then find then the Dark Lord decides, hey, I'm coming back. Why? Because there's something in this castle that can regenerate him back to his old, old self, and then. Some shit happens. Oh my god, there's a Brock out there. He oh can... my god. Fuck Wahlberg's like, oh my oh god. Oh my god, the trees are moving. <laughs> Guys, we, we gotta love each other. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's <laughs> how he described me. I'm just like, what? I'm like, no. no. Still uh, thinking to Mark Wahlberg there. Uh, Nikki's re- immediately regretting doing this right now. <laughs> why did I say we would do this? Yeah, exactly. Just like, um, what lie can I do to get out of this right now? Some shit goes down. Harry saves the stupid stone that's all immortal life just to have it destroyed by Dumbledore. And that's Nicholas Fulmel. And yeah. Now, why didn't it just have been easier to say, hey, Nick, you're going to die? It's just the easiest way. 
okay, Dumbledore, whatever you say. <laughs> Just like that. Book would have been a lot easier. Harry would have had a very successful first year. Now, what? Where, where would the conflict of that story be? So, of course, Nicholas Flamel was a little, a little selfish. The guy who, the the alchemist that made the Sorcerer's Stone in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, like we wouldn't have a story that way. No, this is true. I know you're just being really nitpicky. I'm right just now. being. I'm just being a bitch about it. But yes, about a myriad of things as well. So it's okay. Okay. <laughs> I will accept this. Okay. Now let's. Start with the titular character of this book series, and I'll ask Nikki, how would you, what are your feelings on Harry Potter in this first book after rereading it, like uh, you said recently? Um, well, the thing about Harry is just how innocent he is, and I think you uh, you lose that going on in the series, especially mm-hmm. you hit Order of the Phoenix, and Harry is just the most angsty, like annoying person <laughs> in the world. So when you I'm get so like, angry all the time, <laughs> yeah, just yelling at everything and anything. So when you get like this really innocent, like I don't know what Quidditch is, I you know is a Sorting Hat where we take a rabbit out of it. Like he just doesn't get what's going on, um, and then you just he just gets thrown into it, um, and you start to see the little bits of bravery. You start to see. Um, everything that you start to love about Harry come into life in the first book. Um, yeah. That's what I got on that. <laughs> He's also, his innocence is also a great way for ex, uh, exposition because as the reader, we have no idea what the hell's going on, but neither does Harry. So the, the way they explain everything is like a small, stupid child being explained everything. So it makes sense to the reader, makes sense to Harry. Because he's the then, alien to the world Yeah, at that he's point. the alien to the world, and it works for the reader because there's still situations where you're going like, what? And Harry's going like, I don't know what's going on. That It's like one of those things that would you figure would become less and less prevalent throughout the rest of the books, but even up until Deathly Hollows, he's still being explained things. Yeah, like, because these are things that he was thrown into this culture at an age where it's like, all right, he's already used to normal people life right he's thrown into this new culture where everyone grows up with these things so it's second nature to them and he's still struggling with like oh my god what do you do around a goblin Mm -hmm. and and your feelings like other than that do you feel like what are your feelings on that other than the it being really easy for exposition for him what do you feel i enjoy uh, i mean the harry potter in the first book is really enjoyable because it's that whole wide eye wide eye deer in the headlights situation going but you can also feel his frustrations when there is frustrated frustrating moments but you also feel like his excitement you also feel his curiosity so it's a great way to connect to the reader itself so i think he's a great he's great in the first book which i agree and it's like one of those things that as you guys both highlighted he's he's so innocent and so unassuming that like, he just like the first time when he deals with a wizarding public that realizes, oh, this is Harry Potter. And everybody's like, thank you for what you've done. And he's like, he has absolutely no idea what has happened. He's like, he has been told pre- in the previous chapter that what he did to Voldemort. And he's just like, oh, no problem. And he's shaking the hands for people for like 10 minutes. And then he eventually goes down the Diagon Alley. Now, if that was like Harry Potter from like book five on, we'd be like, no, don't touch me. And just be, and just be a little bit really petulant about that. We're just, we're just, we're just be hating. I'm just realizing we're hating on later Harry Potter. We haven't gotten there yet. Piss off, asshole! We're just, all the negative feelings are just coming out now. We're just gonna have no ammunition later. Just beating this poor eleven year old Harry Potter to death. Um, and it's just, and that he's really selfish, like the, the fact that, or like really in tune to what how his like 
at least when he's dealing with other people because he's lived on eggshells for so long dealing with the Dursleys and stuff like that and recognizing human behavior like the moment where he's on the train with uh, Ron and he realizes that he does, Ron's family is not the richest family in the world and he comes he comes and, like, he really notices that right off the bat he doesn't like he doesn't pull like a Malfoy and just make fun of him because he not, doesn't come from means and he actually helps him but he doesn't really call attention to it he's not going to be like oh I'll help you because I know you're not doing that well financially. He's not going to be that kind of kid. He's just going to be like, so what's... And I, it's a, a point that's brought up in, uh, in Chamber of Secrets when they goes to the, the borough for the first time and Ron's really nervous of showing him his room because it's a kind of a cramped house. And he's like, I love it just because of the way well, it is. There's also the, shooting ahead to the Chamber of Secrets as well. When they went to uh, Gringotts Bank, Harry's at his vault trying to hurriedly shovel money into his wallet without... Like everybody gawking at, at how much cash he has, right? Yeah, so I mean, and he, he doesn't want. To, but they know. say in the first book that it's like Harry when Harry saw all the gold in his vault. It's like I, he's if he was never given pocket money, so mm. he has no idea what it's like to have money. And it was like one of those things was like when he meets Ron, it's like, well, I never had money. You yeah, don't have money. Why yeah, why don't we share money? Yeah, exactly. And, and I'll buy the literally the entire, the entire tray of candy yeah pretty much the entire like trolley of everything that they have you on just there. spot everyone's food you prick <laughs> <laughs> not even old harry potter escapes it. even yelling at the first book as you kids is dakota dakota just this dakota just had like a little bit of cerebral palsy moment right there i'm sorry <laughs> sorry i will not call attention to it anymore um since we brought him up let's talk about ron and our feelings of ron in this first story Oh, we're starting with me. <laughs> <laughs> I the mic yeah, you know what? I really like Ron. I I feel like Ron will always be that underdog character, even before you know Harry really starts to shine as the chosen one. Um, and so when you first meet Ron, Ron just kind of seems like down. Like, doesn't matter what I do because you know I got an older brother who trains dragons. I got an older brother that's this. I, you know the other one's doing that. The two everybody loves. You know the twins. Who doesn't love the twins? You really just have to love the twins you, you can't have, you know, you, only you heartless can. people don't like the twins yeah. Oh, yeah they're just so like you know he's coming in and he's just got some really really big shoes to fill and you just feel for him and i like that from the moment that harry's on the platform having no freaking idea how to get to this train you know he just forms a connection and i i do find that without ron you couldn't have Harry. Ron is the balancing force. Uh, Ron is that, um, basically that olive tree branch into the wizarding world for Harry. That's that's a really nice way to put it and everything like that. As they slowly squeak the mic back to Dakota, as I'm starting to fall apart now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's just spreading like a disease at this point. Yeah, soon Nikki's going to be drawing. We really like this book. Um... Your feelings are Ron in this first book. I think Nikki nailed it on the head. He's just, uh, he's an enjoyable character. You just can't help but feel sorry for him in a lot of situations. Um, I mean, they do make it very, I mean, you have to credit J.K. Rowling for such incredible writing of, like, feeling like, holy crap, this kid is has some big shoes to fill because every brother ahead of him has, has done something mm-hmm. memorable. I mean, the twins, it's, I'm not sure if it's worth remembering some of the sh- stuff that they've done. No, but, it definitely is. Well, no, no, but in the views of their parents, like, because of how joke, like, they joke around and they get in trouble all the time. 
But, Which I feel um, like their father kind of he 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 supports it, but in front of Molly. Yeah, he doesn't not really. really. I mean, that's why I think I mean, one of my favorite moments from the movie of Chamber of Secrets is when they when Molly explains like your your sons like your sons were flying that flying car of yours. Really? How did, How did it go? It go? I mean, that was that was a very wrong, boys. Very wrong indeed. <laughs> but he's obviously just like he's a total like other child, another brother to that family oh, yeah. when it comes to that. Uh, and at least with the twins. And that, but go on, what you were saying about Ron? Uh, yeah. So, but I mean, even um, I forget the name of the mirror. Oh, mirror. Oh. Of, uh... I spell it. <laughs> <laughs> I want. It's not. Uh... You guys can look it up. I'm just mirror of a. It's something. Doesn't it start with an A? Mirror of a. No. Look at the back. Look at the back of the last chap. Like last chapters, it, they mention it when uh, Quirrell's looking at it. But even when like the, he like Harry finds that giant mirror, he brings Ron to see, to check it out to show Harry show Ron all of his family, and Ron doesn't see Harry's family. He sees him. Being everything that his brothers were, uh, head of the Quidditch team, Erisad. Erisad? E R I S E D. Damn it. Desired. Backwards. Because oh. <laughs> it's mirror ends. Uh, that. Wow. That's, I'm, uh, I'm dumb. I'm, I'm just going to pack up my things right now. All my writings and subtext okay. and. My, and, and <laughs> the mirror of desire. I never put one and one together, but okay. I thought it was some, some something elvish or something like that. I don't know, like something out of Lord of the Rings. No, there's plenty of other ripoffs of Lord of the Rings and Harry yeah, Potter series. I, I, I'm not going to go with that right now. But uh, yeah, no, just it's just very. I have to contribute to J.K. Rowling's writing on Ron because it's very, very great character, and it is a very good bridge to the Wizarding world for Harry. And what I feel like with with uh, Ron is that, like you're saying, like all of his like. Charlie like is doing with dragons. Um, Billy uh, Bill's in Africa and stuff like that. We're doing something for Gringotts. Percy's a prefect. Fred and George are the troublemakers, but everybody loves them at school, mm-hmm. and, and they, schoolwork is so easy for them. And he's not the youngest either, because Ginny's the youngest. So he's, yeah, but, he's and, the but, perfect middle child. Yes, there. and Ginny has a pass already because she's the only girl. Yeah, so he's he's he's, he's screwed on many front, uh, fronts right there. Yes, but. He doesn't try and he like he doesn't he tries not to let that get to him as much as possible. And I think that's why I like like whenever Fred and George tease him, he's like, no, it doesn't bother me. He tries to brush it off. But it's like such a like such a like, I'm OK. I'm OK. I'm really I'm sad. Why does everybody love me as much as me? And like even to the point where like he like his mom made sandwiches for him for the train ride to Hogwarts. And he's kind of embarrassed of it because she always messes up his sandwich because yeah, he doesn't I like roast beef. I don't like roast beef. No, I don't like corned beef. Corned beef. And wah, as, a, as a ginger is saying, saying corn, he doesn't like corned beef, I'm surprised. Like a leprechaun just pop out and shank him right there at that point. Well, <laughs> well one thing that it kind of gets very overlooked, I know I hop it has Chamber of Secrets, but Harry and Ron do receive, receive uh, plaques for services to the school at the end of it and that's something i'm pretty sure none of the weasleys had done no that's something i feel gets overlooked all the time now was that plaque in the room of the trophy room the trophy room yeah it's the same thing like if you read through the book the uh, ron was cleaning um 
Tom Riddle's shield. Yes. And that services to the school, Warden for Services School. Right. They have, Harry Ron have exact the same thing. Right. Probably next to Riddle's yes. and stuff like that. Okay. It, just something to throw out there where it's like, he did something that his other brothers ha- didn't do. Yes. So, and suck it. So we, he may not be, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a plaque, Mom. I'm Can I get gonna... that plaque at your job? No. I, <laughs> I didn't want to steal a mic on that. <laughs> I, I'm talking way but too much. You know what? You're totally right because I didn't even really think about that. There are a lot of things that Ron does that he never gets noticed for. And I do think he really is the middle child. And he theoretically, you look at it, he's not actually the middle child when you look at oh, no, how the, the lineage breakdown is, but... is. And he should, by being the youngest boy, be spoiled too, but he's not. And it's almost like... Um, Everything, I don't even want to say average because I feel it's uh, it's demeaning to what he does in the whole series, but every av- average character that a person has who's reading it, you can see that in Ron. Like, Ron's well enough liked. He's not, you know, super popular like the twins. You know, he's athletic enough. I mean, he ends up doing very well in Quidditch. Yes. Um, and, you know, he is brave enough so he really has these qualities that all his siblings have i mean even the spunkiness that you see in Ginny, it's it's present in ron so he does he's probably the most understated character do you think he overcompensates because of that oh absolutely and i think the fact that he's trying to outshine not only his family but his best friend and i i don't think he i mean you do see him resent harry at one point but i don't think it was a very authentic resentment i do think more it was um he just he just hated that everybody gets you know and you look at Hermione who's so freaking smart and you know you get Harry who's so freaking brave and he's just right there in the middle like he always what am I is. the muscle kind of like yeah. of that situation right there well, he, I mean I mean everything that we're talking about goes well into the series yeah but, but he but yeah everything that we did mention he does he doesn't see him he doesn't see in himself. Mm-hmm. That's why he o- still overtries, like in Quidditch, he overthinks everything to the point where him, his overthinking is messing him up to the point where he's like, I'm horrible, and like, your performance is horrible. Mm-hmm. So, but meanwhile, there's actual talent there, he just de- doesn't. He just has to go with it and not overthink it. I mean, a lot of stuff that he does is overthinking, and he does kind of do it to himself, which I can relate, because middle, I'm a middle child, mm-hmm. and I do overthink all the time. Right. And that messes with me, so... And it's just like one of the things you got to take into effect that like, like what if you were best friends with the president or something like that? Like your best friend who you've known since childhood happens to be like the most powerful person on the earth. And then you're just a guy next to him. And you're just like, and I'm always with you yet. I'm not treated as such. I'm always saying like, Oh, you're his friend. You're not, you're not your own person. He seems like your own identity is defined by the person next to you. It's like a, a Beyonce with, kelly and michelle like you look at destiny's child and good pull there harry is the beyonce and ron is the michelle (laughs) (laughs) i love how you made the decision we'll give yeah we'll give hermione kelly because kelly did some stuff but poor michelle she got slept on and that's what happens to ron ron gets slept on well i just popped in my mind uh if you guys ever seen avatar the last airbender the whole thing with uh avatar roku the firebender avatar Mm -hmm. he's best friends with the fire lord Right. And on the day, he, he's best friends with the Fire Lord. They knew the guy was going to be the Fire Lord, and then all of a sudden, he's the av- his Roku is the Avatar. And then the Fire Lord's like, oh, well, you were best friends with the Avatar. It's like, yes, you're important, but you're not important enough. Right. And it's just like one of those things that 
you kind of like and something that's obviously brought up later on but at least in this book it doesn't come too much it doesn't call too much attention of it now let's move on to the third part person of this trio of misfits that roam hogwarts grounds hermione granger your feelings on her you know, first book, Hermione, is very annoying, and I will give her that. That is like, <laughs> you know, I feel bad because you, you end up, you just really are endeared by Hermione as time goes on, and you, even in the movies, you, you can't help but love Emma Watson, but Hermione in the first book is, and I think that's an overcompensation because she's a muggle-born, and that's she wants good, to, she just wants to prove herself, so, and you can't deny the girl's brilliant, and it's just, um... You know, she's the one with those messed up priorities, not the boys. That's true. I'll, gi- I'll give you that. You have debt on your nose. You know that. <laughs> After, like, that's like the seventh person who has reminded Ron at that point that he has dirt on his nose. He's yet to clean it. That point, he oh. deserves to go. Oh, you're doing magic. Let's see then. Oh, that's not really a real spell. Here, I've been practicing in the off days. Let's see. Uh, the panel. Oh, 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 it's all died. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're Harry Potter. I read all about you. Oh, you have dirt on your nose. Okay, bye-bye. That's how you introduce Hermione Granger, and she's such a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, tell me how you really feel. But, I mean, after... But that's the character all the way up until the troll scene. The Halloween the troll cut breaks in, and Ron and Harry actually save... Hermione from the troll, and then she becomes so much better. True, but then you could argue the fact she wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for the douchiness of Ron right there, and that's in the previous chapter. True, but... However, it was predicated on the fact that she was a Ms. Know-it-all at the time. It's You could argue with most things, Hermione, that she wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for the douchiness of Ron. Like, I feel like that just goes for <laughs> How the How many whole. situations you could probably <laughs> round off right there? You know, and it's funny when you think about it because she only knew Harry from reading about Harry Potter. So she really doesn't know the significance of the Wizarding World except for what she knows in books, which is why I think up into that troll scene you find her so annoying. It's because it's one of those people that are so book smart, but they have no street smarts. And there's no practical application to that. I know a few people like that. Yeah, and so it, it's it's fun to watch Hermione per, like progress as a character because she starts to realize, hey, I can probably be a human and not just a walking encyclopedia. I just had like a cl- uh, clarity clearance moment. Yeah, an How epiphany. The, what? An epiphany. Yeah. Um. Harry was taken from his house after the explosions and Voldemort disappearing everything. And Hagrid got there, took him on Dumbledore's orders to be left at his aunt's house. How does the wizarding world know that Harry Potter has a lightning scar on his forehead? Dumbledore got smashed in the celebration and blabbered at somebody. <laughs> the kid has a lightning bolt on his head. Oh my god, it's atrocious. Ow. Good. You deserve it. More <laughs> for making fun of you for falling apart a few minutes ago. You know what? I don't think they actually knew it was a lightning bolt. I think they just think it's a scar. And because the only one who could have really spilled the beans on that would be Hagrid when he's drinking at the Leaky Cauldron. Which... Hagrid has been known to spill the beans a lot. Yes. Oh. He's, he's got a bit of a drinking problem, which I've realized throughout <laughs> these books. I'm like, he's a, he's, he's a mild alcoholic. And he drinks his sorrows away. Well, the first thing is, he kept slipping me drinks. And then he started asking me what animals I take care of. And I told him about Fluffy. 
You asked about Fluffy? Of course he was interested in Fluffy. It's a three-headed dog. How many can you run into? And then he then he blushed. He said, not and that Fluffy, he... and I ended up in bed with the person. <laughs> Another, he came over to my place. For he gave me his dragon, and then yeah, things he came. Showed me with... his pet dragon, and I stroked it. It's because I was rereading at the bar today where I work, and ironically, both places. I know, isn't that hysterical? So I'm reading it, and I was just like, "Oh man!" So Hagrid had a bad day, and his first thought is, "Hey Harry, do you mind if I drop you off in this strange place and go get a few rounds to feel better?" What, what's Tom's first lines to Hagrid? Ah, oh, Hagrid, usual, I presume. <laughs> And then you My like, God, man! <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't just like ask, just start, just start like stealing for him like that. And okay, but now I realize one thing. I realize one thing about uh, about Lightning Scar and everything, the events that happened that night. So, in the first book, we mentioned that Sirius Black let Hagrid borrow the motorcycle to get him from the Potter House to Perfect Drive. Now, in later books, we find out that Snape was there. He was like one of the first people to see. He he and mourned Lily after the attack. So Hagrid must have been there. Snape must have been there. Maybe Sirius must have been on the case f- trying to find out where Peter Pettigrew was. I'm like, was it like a revolving door of everybody like and just left Wait, the Potter? Snape was there. I thought he found out. I don't think. He, I, wait, I Unless um. No, I'm pretty sure he was there. I'm pretty sure. I thought he, he, he. The minute he had. I thought he found out through the grapevine that that happened and then he was like but he but he promised not to kill her it might be one of those like shit I'm mixing them I need to read I, yeah, yeah, I, I know in the movie they show a scene with Alan Rickman like embracing Lily after and like Harry's in the background like in his crib like knocked over and stuff like that right after she died and I'm like that may have been like a convenience change for the movie it's been a while since I've read Deathly House so I have to reread read Deathly yeah. House I need to reread that yeah, yes. we'll put it in that. We'll come we back. are going to address this six books from now. Yeah, and, and uh, um, anyway, um, and other than her snootiness, well, how do you feel about Hermione overall no, throughout I, the rest of the book? I do like Hermione. Um, I mean, without Hermione, nothing would have happened. Right. I mean, Ron and her, uh, Ron and Harry would be sitting pretty much sitting in their own shit, wondering like, I wonder what Snape's going to do with the stone. I don't know, but it must not be good. Oh, bother. <sighs> and then you just have Quirrell just standing in front of the mirror going, how the fuck do I get to it? He <laughs> <laughs> e- just stands there. I mean, <laughs> for eons and eons. Until Dumbledore's like, the yeah. fuck you doing? <laughs> it's Eddie Gibbs. He has shadow hands for eons and eons. Oh, God. But and, no, but if, if it wasn't Hermione, they wouldn't, the plot, I mean, she moves the plot along. She is the brains behind the operation. Totally. I mean, uh, Harry executes everything. The three of them come up with a plan. Hermione brings out up the plan on how to do X, Y, and Z. Right. Ron's there for comic relief sometimes, but he's also there to push everyone along. Yes. So, but Hermione's a key component to this. And I love the fact with all three characters that they, like as we've we've all said, that they've all bring their own individual skills to the table when it comes to dealing with all these situations. Case in point, at the end. Like, uh, Hermione knowing everything about herbology, that's why they get through the Devil's Snare. Harry's uh, skills in the broom, that's why he's able to get the the uh, key uh, fairy thing from the sky, from the ceiling. Which you know, I key- think the movie enhances the key part a little bit better. Because in the book, it's just 
the they're just the keys are just fine right even when they touch the broom so. mm-hmm. it's not much of a challenge if you really think about it for harry because like oh i'm a seeker grab the key right but in the in the movie they actually make it i mean i know we're not talking about the movie but in the movie they actually make it really difficult for him because the keys are attacking him while the main key, the key that unlocks door is flying away. Right, and it's been so long since I've, it's been so long since I've seen um, the movie. I totally forgot about. It. I thought they omitted that part of it from the they movie. omitted um, the potions, the potions, and him discovering the troll. Yes, and there is, and then you have like them on her, him and the broom. Then obviously Ron with the chessboard and everything like that. And Hermione with the potions, and with Hermione, like as we've all said, that she's a little bit snooty in the first half of it. But it's also like like you said, one of those people who just like she's trying so hard to fit in and reading so much to make herself the most educated person, most educated person in the room, to the point that it gets on some people's nerves. Most most of the characters gets, especially Severus Snape, who just can't stand the fact that she tries to be a know-it-all and like immediately tries to beat her down because of it throughout the books, especially in Prisoner of Azkaban, which is, I was listening to the part when he like finally snaps at her, just like, just shut up for once. And five points from Giffindor for being a know-it-all. Kling. That's an actual lie. Yeah, I know. I mean, you should like it's been a drinking game. How many times uh, Snape uh, took? There is a drinking game. I I can only imagine what the drinking game is like. uh, Every time, every time uh, Harry asks a a question about the Wizarding World, oh god! Every time points are awarded to Gryffindor. Every time points are lost for Gryffindor. Uh Every time someone says Harry. Oh no. where did I see that? It's kind of like the air. It's kind of like it probably the- was on Facebook. I think I, it might have been you. Uh, hold on, I'm trying to pull it up right now. But yeah, it's like every time Harry's scar hurts, um, yeah. you take a drink, and those are games I try not to play because those are the games that you you don't remember your name after. Um, but yeah, no, it was. It's kind of like when I was up at school, uh, three friends decided to play the airplane drinking game. And one of the rules is every time there's an airplane scene. And so, like, there's, like, there's, in every scene, there's always, like, a picture of an airplane in the background or somebody mentions a plane. And then at one point, I think, like, an hour into the movie, I go down the hall, go to the bathroom, and I'm coming back. And it's kind of quiet in the dorm room. And they're, like, just, plane! A few more steps. Play the whole crowd. I'm like, Jesus Christ! The RA is gonna bust this for this because most of you are not 21 right now. Ooh, I got it. Uh, Harry Potter drinking game. Every time you drink, uh, every time Harry scar hurt, Ron does something wrong. Malfoy mentions his father. Hagrid says, "I shouldn't have said that." Uh, anyone is awarded points. Points are taken away. Someone, <laughs> someone shouts, "Harry!" <laughs> Hermione raises her hand. Ron says, "Bloody." Snape says something. Something offensive <laughs> in Voldemort's name is avoided with that good old you know who. If oh. you're playing the drinking game along with us, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know who about several things making something snooty. Anyway, so let's move on with them. Let's let's stick with all of the people that's on the the good side of of the Wizarding World. Let's go to Professor McGonagall. Oh, my fave. I love Professor McGonagall. You know what? There's something to be said about someone who is stern, who follows rules, yet is still likable. Yes. Um, she's just one of those forces that I honestly don't think Hogwarts would have ran so smoothly under Dumbledore without her. I think she's that voice of reasoning for his um, eccentricity. Is that a real word, or did I just make that up? It's... 
close enough to a real word. My pronunciation is failing me right now. I know, hooked on phonics and me didn't go along. Yeah. It's like odd with Timble mumbles. And she's a very together kind of woman. And I just, I don't think you get more badass than Professor McGonagall. No, I agree. I mean, um, I mean, without, I mean, Professor McGonagall, even though sometimes like, oh my God, you're so stiff. Um, you just have to, you have to love her. But, uh, that's when you rolled over that she was on top, right? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, they never mention that she's an old witch. No. They actually say she has dark black hair. And it's it's in a very tight bun. So they cast an old woman for it. Maggie Smith was amazing. There's no. I'm never going to say anything bad about that. Oh no. But in the Harry Potter series, you can technically replace her with some hot librarian witch. Is that is that so? That's how you fell asleep to those audio cassettes. Then Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. (laughs) No one am I getting detention with you, (laughs) Professor (laughs) McGonagall? Your brother just rolls over. Why are you rewinding that again? Shh. Don't worry about it. (laughs) <laughs> this is getting more inappropriate as it goes. <laughs> no, uh, somebody's going to send like a really strongly word email. Like, I was listening to this with uh, my family, and like, and it, was, it got really inappropriate really quickly. J.K. Rowling responds to the man named Mister Dakota Wigan. <laughs> Professor McGonagall was was casted appropriately as Maggie Smith. You dumb, dirty bastard! <laughs> and you should be ashamed of yourselves. Make sure that your eyes are not bleeding out of your face. Move along. All right, but yes, no, uh, Professor McGonagall was an awesome character. And really, it, she's so enjoyable throughout the series. Mm-hmm. And you could tell, I mean, there's scenes throughout the series where she does really care for Harry because she knows exactly what he's going through at home. Yeah, and, and, but it's also one of those things that she doesn't forget the fact that she's a teacher first and foremost. Yes. And like even this, like this despite like all the things that could probably be going on like the fact that they know about the sorcerer stone they confront her about it like who's going to steal and stuff like that she's like i know all the all the things that are there to prepare to prevent people from getting it and accusing another teacher is not a good thing but i'm going to overlook it because you're in my house and i and i enjoy you two being in my house but the fact that like as we were saying that that she's willing to be stern and not be like one of those like many of the teachers later on in the series who are really stern and are really stick to the the uh, rules end up becoming like the most hated people in those books. Professor Umbridge being numero uno right well, there. Well, she was. She, I wouldn't classify her as extremely stern. She was extremely psychotic. Yes, but that's for a different review. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and one of the things that I, I really enjoy the fact is that. Her introduction, even though we don't know it's her yet, uh, with Mr. Dursley going off to work and he sees her as a cat reading a map. Reading a map. And, mm-hmm. and, he, and he does a double take and she immediately puts it away and just sits there. He's like, nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. Nobody noticed me. Yeah. Well, I love Dumbledore. is like the little thing when they introduce Professor McGonagall as the cat. Yeah. Turning into the like, oh, nice to see you here, Professor McGonagall. How did you know it was me? I kn- my dear professor, I have never seen a cat sit so stiffly on a wall before. <laughs> and then and she immediately just, transforms, and then it's like one of those things. Where it's like, yeah, she would be a very st- just 
stiff cat. And and you sit there all day waiting for his arrival. Very prim and proper. Since we mentioned the headmaster, let's start with him. Come back to me. (laughs) Okay. It's so hard to describe because uh, once let's you... try to keep it in the context of the first book. And that's Brian. what it—that's what I was just about to say. It's really hard to take it just in the context of the first book because with Dumbledore, he's such a large character, and between all the books, um, it's just—it's just really hard to separate them. But as far as the first one, I think he is the best kind of grandfathery figure um, that Harry has never been accustomed to. He's used to these really. Uh, awful family figures and here comes this gentle um, wise old man who has taken kind of a special liking to him and he is odd like I said earlier he's just a very odd guy and at the same time he's a very brilliant guy so he he walks that very fine line of uh, genius and madness mm. it, it's kind of like if you put like Einstein and Santa Claus together that's pretty much what you get yeah, no, he's definitely the lovable grandfather figure who's a little crazy, but you ultimately enjoy him. Right. But I have to go back to the way J.K. Rowling described him in the book. It is so perfect because she describes him as like the blue twinkle in his eye, but the nose that looks like it was broken, broken twice, s- several times, and just how much how much experience and age you could just he just admits. But he's at the same time he's also that one of those fear, people that you have to love him and respect him. Yes, because he's he's just that person, right? It, he's it is really hard just to put him in the context of the first book because he becomes so much more defined as the books go. He becomes so much more defined, and at the same time, you kind of lose like he's done some he's done some shit, and I'm saying that in the most serious way. You, as you read the books, he's done some shit. And it does take away from the perfect, the smooth criminal. <laughs> takes away from the perf- how perfect he is, but he ultimately in the but sticking to the first book, he's a one. Of the, he's a very likable character when you do read about him, right? And uh, and I love the fact that and like in one of the earliest ways of it, when we first see him when he he clicks out all the lights, all the street lights on Privet Drive, and then Professor McGonagall questions him about everybody celebrating. He's kind of just like. Let them celebrate. We've been living in this terror for so many years right now. So what if we're going to be a, a little noisy to the muggle world? They'll get over it. That's why we have a Ministry of Magic in the first place. Mm-hmm. But he's so trusting of people around him, even so much to the fact that he let Hagrid fly Harry on a motorcycle, not by broomstick or anything like else, to get there. Dear Professor Mc- uh, McGonagall, I trust Hagrid with my life. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap! <laughs> the fuck, Hagrid? I trust you with one thing and you fuck it up, you bastard. I'm just imagining, like, Hagrid in a giant Evil Knievel costume right now as he lands. I mean, it's, like, too tight for him, too. It's, like, a little small. <laughs> oh, man. And then later on in the book that he... Like, it shows that, like, he... Especially when Harry's being sorted into the Gryffindor house, that he sits up and takes notice. See, of course, he gives... He gives his attention to everybody. Every first year, that's going to be sorted there. But he obviously gives. He raises an eyebrow, like which school, which uh, house is he going to go into? Because, because like he said, like, well, oh, could he be like his father, or could he be like somebody else? He doesn't really know because he hasn't spent that much time to, with him as he grew up. Yeah, which that gets explained a little bit further on in the series, where it's like, okay, well, especially uh, what was it in the f- fifth or sixth book where he just dumbed over refuses to make eye contact with him. 
Yeah, he he separates himself really hard in the sixth book, and it's for a reason. You could argue how effective or how yeah, smart well, the reason is, but we're not on that book that, yet. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, it was you. Yeah, he does pay extra close attention to Harry when he gets sorted. Which makes you like I kind of feel bad for everybody else, like in Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw, because they're like of other feel bad for Hufflepuff, like just like those two houses, just like you know. I but I don't actually think anyone noticed that because everybody wanted to know where Harry was going, so everybody was invested. And obviously, we know Dumbledore was a lot more invested in uh, Harry's future and what's going on um, because he was a lot more privy to information than you know susan bones was you know like true so i i don't think anybody was like oh my gosh dumbledore's playing favorites that particular moment i mean it does come along but oh, <laughs> yeah like I, especially I in the movie adaptation it really shows like oh yeah <laughs> and you know and that's it dumbledore paying more attention i mean you could also so was snape so was mcgonagall so everybody down to the twins wanted to know where the boy who lived was going to be sorted. Right. And the thing is, like, the thing I love about Dumbledore, especially when in the first book is when Harry discovers the mirror and that he he doesn't – he respects that um, Harry's curiosity and has the tendencies of his father to break rules and explore the school because he kind of expected Harry to explore the school because he's never been part of the wizarding world and never been in a good home. But he immediately, he's he's really stern with him. He's saying, like, this mirror is going to be moved from this location and do not come looking for it again. Because he knows that it's not going to be good for him. It's going to become an addiction just to experience that, what, trying to have that life a little bit. And that's even something that's brought up in the third book even more during the Dementors, just to hear his parents' voice. That's why Harry, it seems like he messes up a little bit just to hear his mom's voice and his dad's voice. Anyway, let's go down the rest of the staff of... Hogwarts School Wizardry. Let's go with Hagrid himself, since we we kind of we, we've been, we kind of taken jabs at him <laughs> thus far. Start with you, Dakota. I mean, your feelings? We've taken jabs at him, but you cannot hate Hagrid. No, he is one. He's actually extremely old, but they never addressed that. If you no, really think about it. He was expelled fifty years ago, and he still looks like he's like in his forties, forties. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, that has to be the giant in him. But um, but yeah, no, he's the he's an awesome he's the uh, Hogwarts gameskeeper. So he takes care of the uh, the property plus all the animals that encompass the property and the and the Forbidden Forest. He's a very he loves all the magical creatures, as you could tell. He just goes out of his way to get whatever interests him, and the more dangerous it is, the more he loves it. Right, um, and he he scratches his head at people who don't realize he doesn't that. understand it. But he also, he's very stubborn because, like, when they get uh, Norbert the dragon and dragons growing up in his house and starting to really get aggressive, he's really trying to control the dragon to the point where he's like, like I, I you guys need to go because he's in a very weird stage right now. He's biting people. He's blowing flames everywhere. But he's adorable. Look at him. And Game of Thrones character, he is not. So that's why he cannot control a dragon. No, he's not. Well, if I if I knew her character's name, I'd say uh, it. yes, Daenerys. Daenerys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since I swung the mic to you, Niggy, your feelings on Hagrid? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I agree. Like, it's he's just like a lovable oaf, and like I, I just really love how she describes him. Like the first thing you hear, he's like he's almost. Uh, too large to be allowed and just this wild figure and he really is just like a, a merry giant um 
And yeah, he's got a little bit of an alcohol problem like we touched on. And he's got a little bit of a gabby mouth. But I think his the reason he likes the exotic creature so much is that he himself is part exotic creature. Yes. Um, you know, and you can see that later on with Umbridge. But um, I and I think that he kind of is the perfect guardian uh, that like fun uncle for the trio to go to um they all have that kind of relationship with him it's not just harry um i don't think harry's relationship's any stronger than you know hermione's and haggard's and ron and haggard's i, I mm-hmm. just think that haggard takes to he's almost like the island of misfit toys in a character he just takes to those people that need a home and it's one of those like the strong points that like if the the trio doesn't have like have nobody to talk to about a certain situation whether it be emotional or plot driven they go to Hagrid to talk about it, and he is always willing to listen, unless the 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 story is otherwise that he's not available at that moment. And like you're saying, that he's a great big oaf, and he's like he doesn't, especially he takes great care. He takes great um, when he somebody's offended or something that he really that he really loves is offended or could be hurt. He takes that a great offense, especially when he deals with the Dursleys after like he finds out what they've been doing to Harry and stuff like that. And he just like breaks the rifle that Dursley had to defend himself and stuff like that. And he gives, um, oh man, Dudley, Dudley the tail and stuff like that. And, or, or like when he, he bellows at Dursley, at, um, Dursley about the, when he dis, uh, disrespects uh, Dumbledore's name and you think like, oh my God, he's going to kill him. And then, but he's also such a, gentle soul because he gets so upset when something like like when Norbert is taken away from him and he starts crying and everything like that and he becomes a, a blubbering mess and it takes the three of them to calm him down and such and it's just like one of those things that it really helped define the world and helped those characters express a different thing otherwise that they couldn't done with other characters right but by the way in the book uh, when they're trying when they're transporting Nor- Norbert to the tower uh, to get picked up by all of Charlie's friends to, as they visit him in Romania. Right. That was actually one of my favorite parts of the book because of how, like, oh, my God, this is actually kind of intense. Yes. For these kids to be out of bed this late and also how Ron is, like, Ron was got bit by Norbert, correct? I believe so. He definitely got nicked by him. Yeah, to the point where he, his hand, like, exploded or, like, it would turn – it swelled up. It swelled up. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of my favorite parts of the book. And then it's like, oh my God, you're so stupid to forget the invisibility cloak yes. on top of the to- tower. Yep. Which, as you're reading it, you don't pick it up until they're like, until. Um, yes. Uh, who catches it? Filch. Them? Filch. Filch pops out. It's like, we are in trouble, aren't, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Harry and Hermione realized the cloak was on top of the tower. tower. And, that's, and, that's how, and that's how the chapter ends. And, it, and it's just like one of those. It's just like one of those things that, like, without Hagrid, it feel like that story would be missing something. Yeah. Well, it it puts. I mean, that scene definitely puts them in the forest. It's it serves the plot tremendously. Yes. And um, but it does put them in detention. Malfoy and Neville. Neville feeling like he was being lied to and they're trying to say no 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 you were it was the truth it was a truth it was a truth but um oh neville i know let's talk about neville let's uh, let's just say i was like you said neville um i actually think it's really funny because it was something that i had very much overlooked um the first few times 
I have reread this book. Um, but the boat that takes them over, it's Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville. Neville. And you start to realize that Neville has always been this important character. He's always been right there, right on the sideline of the action. And he just, as the story goes on, you and... I love that about Neville because that's another one that's a lovable oaf. You really can't hate Neville. He's always forgetting things. He lost his toad. He's, you know, they didn't even think he had magic. Um, his uncle's like trying to throw him out of a window to <laughs> get any kind of magical response out of this kid. With, without him, Harry would not discover his possibilities with Quidditch. Yeah. So we need Neville for that. Yeah, Neville is just, um, Neville's like the catalyst for a lot of stuff that happens. And he's one that, he is an unsung hero right up until the very end. And, you know, it's kind of fun to think about how this kid, this kid who can't keep track of anything, even the thing that's there to help him remember things he can't keep track of, <laughs> he... Like, he's just crucial. If you don't have Neville, you don't have Harry Potter. It's funny because there's a YouTube um, page called Film Theory where they kind of like to become really analytical about certain things and like theories that could be happened. And one of the earliest videos they did was that Harry Potter is not the chosen one. Neville is. They have the same birthday. They have a lot of the same background. And the possibility is that maybe Harry was not the real true chosen one since he came from a true wizarding background. At least he grew up with that and Neville had the chance to... Destroy one of the Horcruxes at the end. What are you about to say, Dakota? They did address this in the book. Did they? Yeah. Harry brought it up to Dumbledore, and Dumbledore was like, well, there's two, we're two of you, and Voldemort saw the Potters more of a threat than the Longbottoms, yeah, he, making Harry the chosen one. Right. Because whatever decision, because if Voldemort went after the Longbottoms, then the book series would be Neville Longbottom. Right. Not That's not as catchy as Harry Potter. It's true. But they, and he he said Bellatrix after after but, well once they destroyed um once Voldemort destroyed Bellatrix was now in charge and she wanted revenge so then she then she and a bunch of people went after the long bombs and tortured them to insanity right which a very dark dark yeah, shit and, and you feel so bad for oh Neville oh my god it and it's like when Dumbledore brings it up it's like you never asked Neville why he lives with his grandmother and Harry's like. <gasps> We are such horrible people. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it's it, 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 like you get, you get, you get, take it to the fact that like, like in with this book, like not being able to remember anything and needing to remember all and stuff like that, losing his toad and being like he's introduced in a crisis. Like, have you seen my toad? And it's like, no, please just get out of our get out of our uh, cart right now. Yeah, and, he he shows up before Hermione shows up, and yeah. Hermione's asking the same questions Neville did. Um, it is kind of interesting when you first read the book, and you think, why the hell was Neville in Gryffindor? Yeah. And it's it, theory on that. But it showed, but as, <laughs> as, as, <laughs> whacking people with microphones <laughs> As the series goes on, it's like, he he didn't deserve to be in, like, Hufflepuff. Hmm. Because, I mean, not no offense to people who like want to be in Hufflepuff, which I don't know if you really want to be. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Well, he, lost one fan already. I mean, how... Uh, <laughs> but at the, how Neville starts to stand up for himself in the Sorcerer's Stone. He stands up to Ron, Harry, and Hermione from going out to completely lose all the points. Yeah. Be like, you're, you're breaking rules. We can't keep doing this. 
And then from and then it continues to evolve to the point where it's like, oh my god, Neville has some balls. Yes, and especially with him. I mean, if you notice, I mean, a completely another book in um, Order of the Phoenix, it was Harry and Neville in the last, like the last stand before the rest of the Order of Phoenix showed up. Yes, they were the only. They were the last two ones that. Were, I mean, they were, they Neville were had big ass lips at the time because he got jinxed. Right, but it was the only two. Last people standing were Neville and Harry, he's which always he's always there, and that's why. And if I remember correctly, he stands up to Voldemort in the very end of the Deathly House before Harry Potter comes back from the grave. If yeah. I if I remember correctly, and you said you had a theory. I have a theory on houses. Um, I actually took a philosophy of Harry Potter course, which was the hardest course. Everybody always thinks it was like a joke course that easy A's with the worst movies. Crazy. It was awesome. Um, most work I've ever had to do. But one of the things was whether or not sorting um if you're born into a house or if you become into a house and i always felt that you had both you there's you're gonna have a major house which is the one that you're gonna be sorted into but you're gonna have the characteristics of another house so that's why you you look at hermione hermione has all the qualities of ravenclaw she would have done great in ravenclaw but she's a true and true gryffindor you look at harry who theoretically had this other person in him who was slytherin by far and large, but he was a Gryffindor. Um, you have Neville, who really... Sh- I think Neville probably would have even flourished more in Hufflepuff. I think he was, you know, another, like, lesser Gryffindor you didn't pay much attention to, um, but you realize you made a mistake. He was the fifth Beatle in that, that situation right yeah, there. Yeah, and that's... I, I do think everybody has a little bit of two houses. Like, if I was to sort myself, I'd be Gryffindor with an underlying Ravenclaw. And it's just, um, you know, Hufflepuffs are so misunderstood Hufflepuffs are that house that they are the smartest they're the ones that actually study they're not like Ravenclaws who can argue their way out of a paper bag uh like they they do the work they're there they're loyal they're putting in the time and nobody ever gives them the credit so yeah like I I do think yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think you're trying to argue in between I, that. I don't think you're wrong by saying oh like it's a, it's a wonder why Neville wasn't in Hufflepuff but yeah he definitely had that Gryffindor in him, and he always will. I never thought about that, but yes, Hufflepuff are probably the hardest working people because just to get noticed as well. But they have to do all the work for them to excel. But I mean, you look at who came out of Hufflepuff, and the first person you automatically pop to into the series is Cedric Diggory. Yes, and he was the accomplice of this guy's a good wizard. Yes, he worked hard. He maybe he's a little maybe he he's not as proficient in some areas as some other people, but he's he's Great a hard worker. He's very talented in sports. He's very talented with magic and problem solving, and he just he's a cool character. And then he gets killed. But that's a different book. <laughs> <laughs> we keep jumping not. out of it's Sorcerer's not, Stone. It's very hard not to once you've read all of that. And he sparkled in sunlight in a different book series. He did. There, there are parallels to Twilight. I don't appreciate Twilight nearly like a fraction as much as I appreciate Harry Potter. But it's fun to see a character that was casted in Harry Potter to be casted in Twilight because I definitely think Stephanie Meyer took some J.K. Rowling. Well, that's, that's, that's probably like every author probably did that at that point. Oh, yeah. Upon seeing the, the response of the Harry Potter. I always find it funny. I, I was rewatching scenes of it on YouTube. and I, You know that scene where Cedric in the movies that he tells Harry, go up to one of the girls' bathrooms and open your egg underwater. And he's just so awkward about it. Like, go up to the, like, the fourth floor and 
Open your egg on the water. See what it says. Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine you go. Am I? Is is that was was that his? I always think it was that his audition scene for Twilight right there because it was just so <laughs> stiff right there. And I'm like, I'm like, no wonder he got the job as that. So I'm just like, oh man. Um, I was just saying with Neville that, as we were saying before, that he's really the glutes of the two. Like he, it almost seems like. Everyone like it's it's like of course the book series is called Harry Potter and his and it has his two friends but like Neville without his certain qualities a lot of the stories would not happen like for the fact that Sirius gets into um, Gryffindor at one point in Prison of Azkaban because what because Neville was not there and then dealing with like the the three like of course we're going out of the books right now like later on in the books that we learn about the three curses and stuff like that that he's the one like who tells like who who's prior the curse goes curse. Yeah. and he's just talking about like what it does to people and such and then it's one of those things that you you look back you when you take it to the context of the rest of the series and you look back to how he started you feel really bad for him he's like like and you kind of want to say to all the other characters like don't treat him like it's like one of those people like you see like and you may have made fun of earlier on when you're younger. Then you see him years later and they're so much more successful or whatever. And you're like, damn, I shouldn't have made fun of that person. I was going to say that too. Uh, like in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion, it's like uh, the kid that everybody picked on ended up inventing like tennis glue or something ridiculous and like was a billionaire. But everybody had picked on him and you're like, oh, crap could have been nicer. And that's what I feel like everybody to Neville could have been nicer. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just keep thinking like some things just go back. Uh, have you guys ever read the uh, read through the live Twitter read? Uh, it's on BuzzFeed. This guy live tweeted his way through all the Harry Potter series. No, it is hysterical what mm-hmm. he writes. But he's making. Here's a section where he's making fun of Neville, and he goes like, "I wonder what the hell this guy looks like." And he throws a picture of Neville from the, like the most recent. It's like, and all before it was like wood for wood, and then hashtag wood for Neville. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a short, small, fat kid, and then all of a sudden he's like, Pow! "Oh my well, god!" I love that the actor. Thank God the actor turned out really good looking because that just further goes into our point about Neville being an unsung <laughs> character. Because who would have thought, out of all of those characters casted in Harry Potter, that Neville would be the hot one? And <laughs> so I love that, like that, like a meme a guy inks you like. Hun- yeah, he'll never look good looking at the picture from the first movie and then now and he spits out his cereal as his reaction. I'm like, that's pretty much how it is. He, yeah. that you, look, you look at like if the original trio now, Emma Watts is obviously the best looking of the three of them. And I'm, yeah. and, and I'm saying like, like Daniel Radcliffe just looks like this weird gangly dude now. And I'm just like, when you've seen with long hair, I'm just like, oh, he's, he's a strange oh, looking like person Victor now. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. I'm just like looking at the posters and I'm like, uh, I mean, James, I'll take them, but I mean, like, perspective. I mean, they all had, for some reason, they decided to cast everyone with long hair in the fourth movie, which was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever I seen. I that. That made sense to me. Why? Because in the next movie, they all had short hair. Well, that annoyed me. They should have kept, I yeah, mean, but they didn't they, have to be like All the guys long. had, like, big <laughs> helmet hair that covered their ears. It's like, you guys all visited the same barber or something? <laughs> We had a, we had to deal with Lego and head and shoulders at the same time, so we, of course we grew out our hair to go with this. Um, I'm not wearing a helmet for Quidditch. I have one with my stylish hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's the entire Gryffindor house where they go to bed. Just 
Asio Hesprates. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh. ready for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Um, because we we could we talk like another two hours with the characters. Let's try and narrow it down with like, let's talk about the main antagonist of of book number one, Professor Quirrell. Oh, you totally led me off there. What do you thought I was gonna say? Snape. Well, I was he gonna was say the, he. I mean, Quirrell was stuck in there. I mean, it's obviously Voldemort is the main main antagonist of the whole series, but the main. The main, but but, but, Snape, but the, Snape tries to save him. Yes, that's but what, that's it doesn't. He doesn't make Harry's life easy. But he he, ha, he was like the anti-hero. Like he's kind of like an anti-hero that's like bad. <laughs> but no, no, but he, no he's, he's an anti-hero that really was like really. If given the option, he would say, "Fuck it, I'm killing you." Yeah, but also the fact that he respects Dumbledore's wishes that, and he knows that Dumbledore will break off slack for him. And he says like, "No, this kid needs to learn something." So that's why he's tough with him, trying to get an effect of him. But like, like that what was it in I believe Order of the Phoenix when he's saying like he has to train his mind. Then he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't go in easy for him. He doesn't pull any punches because right. he knows he has the ability for it. But he and he sure, if I was in that position, I would have hated him. But yeah. in retrospect, he was doing the right thing. Well, obviously, yes. It's but- retrospective, retrospective thinking. Yes. No, I, I hear you on that where he is not sugarcoating the fact that he gets Harry gets away with everything, but he does play favorites too. Of course. He lets Draco get away with everything. Of course. But I mean I would say Snape in the first and Snape is the main antagonist for the most of the every He's believed book. to be the antagonist in the first book anyway. Yeah, but so I would say that stick with him as the main antagonist right, and Coral just me. sneaks in there. Alright, and your feelings on Snape then? I, I mean I love Snape. He's a, such a great character. He you just a lo- <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make a face. <laughs> yes? Uh, no, you can finish your thought. I'll... <laughs> you can keep your comments to yourself until you get the mic back. Yeah. I mean, I love him because you love to hate him. He's just a bastard. And you just kind of wonder, when the hell is he going to snap and just kill literally everyone in that school? When's and... Snape going to snap? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Snape. Snape. Severus Snape. Dumbledore! Okay. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, All right. But the way they just... J.K. Oh, Rowling's is just, just, just... I love how she wrote every single character. Um, just putting out there. Just how he's just this greasy, dark figure that just like you... Just, this guy looks like he belongs in a dungeon. He's like... He's like... Go, he's almost like a golem, but without the obsession. Yes. And... It's like with with Snape that like he obviously singles out Potter in the very first class. Yes, and but he, I did read a theory about that. Yes, he was speaking in code to say, "I really, I'm sorry about your the loss of your parents." Yes, because all the three things that he, if you put them together, yeah. do something. I forget what I forget what the, it's the like theory my was. heart my heart is sorry. My heart cries for the loss of your like of your. And mother. I wish I could bring him back, but I can't. Yeah, pretty much. But I love it. Doesn't stop him from being a dick. No, not at all. I mean, like Mr. Potter, Mr. our new celebrity. <laughs> I love the fact that like we can't separate Alan Rickman's performance no. with it, but it's also like you, it's, you, you can't you, can, you can't Hans Gruber as Snape. You're gonna get Mr. It's Potter. A, we can talk about men's fashion all day, but I have a class to run. I, I have a wand now. Ho, ho, <laughs> ho. <laughs> <laughs> I have a cauldron now. <laughs> what do you say to me, Popper? You will be- Expelliarmus, motherfucker. 
<laughs> that may be the quote of the podcast right there. Be sitting on a beach collecting 20% of galleons. Anyway, <laughs> I'm taking the mic away from us because we're just going to miss. I'm stopping you. Uh, you know what? I will agree that J.K. Rowling wrote every character perfectly. I do like how she shaped them. Um, fun little sidebars that I really thought Professor Snape's name was Professor Shape up until the first movie release. I don't know how I misread it, but I really thought that was his name. Um, but no, I do not love Professor Snape. And <laughs> and I, I still even, I don't care what his motives were. I don't like how he went around them. Because when you think about it, these are kids. How he acts in a class. If this was a teacher in any school in America, you best believe he'd be fired like lickety split. The way he acts, um, I don't think he was speaking in code. I, I didn't read that theory, but I don't think he his motives were sincere. I think if he could bring back Lily and give up Harry, he oh, would. They said that. Would, is that what they said? In the, when he was doing the whole memory thing, uh, when Harry was reading the memories and everything like that, when after Lily was died and everything yeah. like that, Dumbledore comes out. It's like, so you're saying Voldemort could have just killed James and killed Harry. If he left G- Lily, you'd be perfectly fine. And State was like, Yeah. I don't give a shit about them. I care about Lily, which that makes no sense because Harry now knows this, and yet he still names one of his kids with Severus. But that's a whole yeah, different yeah. theory because I that, we'll go into that yeah because day. we'll be there for three hours yeah. talking about that. <sighs> it's gonna be a long podcast when we get to Deathly Hallows. <laughs> but yeah, I just I don't longer respect, than two part movies. Um, I don't respect Snape. I I just never could. I I don't like that character. I never liked that character. I don't care if he was really trying to protect him because I feel like everything he was trying to do, it was like I could protect you. Um, I'm just gonna make sure you feel a little pain first. I'm gonna I'm gonna protect you. I'm just gonna make sure. Um, I'm just gonna make you feel like an asshole in front of everybody else in your school year. Um, you know, I loved your mother, so I have a right to torture you now because you're the reason she's dead. Um, I just, I don't, and yeah, his description is perfect. Like, you definitely could see somebody who's like this greasy, like, pale figure, like, trying to get that defense against the dark arts thing. And I do like that they're always like, oh, we won't let him have it. It's too close to home. But, yeah, I just can't. That's the one character. I don't, like, I almost want to say I hate Snape more than Voldemort, but I feel like I don't. I feel like they're like par for me. Uh, no, I, I honestly hate Snape more than, yeah. than Voldemort. But like I said, because at least Voldemort's just... honest about his intentions. Yeah. Voldemort's a badass. <laughs> I'm sorry, he was some moments like, oh my god, this guy's so fucked up. It's awesome, and I, and I love. But... I think my probably my favorite moments of the movies is the final, the showdown between Dumbledore and Snape uh, and uh, Voldemort at the Ministry of Magic, and, and they're both their powers being equal as well. So I think it's Ray Fine's performance is what really sells it he, for me. Yeah, well, honestly, I know he did do overplay some moments. Like huh? I can now touch you. <laughs> it's like oh. I think he needed to overplay it. It's such a big character. I, I feel like that's something um, in order, and I, I don't think any other actor could have quite captured the essence of evil uh, like Ralph did. But, yeah, I think for Voldemort... Um, I'm just thinking of Christoph Waltz now. Like, Inglourious Basset. Like, save the Jew yeah. Hunter was Voldemort. <laughs> that would kind of actually be hysterical. I like, get I'm the touch. Aldo the Apache. <laughs> <laughs> you 
know, you're right. Voldemort is at least honest with his intention. Voldemort wants to live. Voldemort wants to rule. Voldemort doesn't care who he has to step on to do it. Um, and that's a lot more straightforward than, you know, Snape and his conflicted views. I mean, uh, we are way off, but... No, 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 uh, might as well. I mean, but, the, like, how... I mean, one of the things that he's constantly called throughout all the books up until the sixth one, um, where it's like, oh, Snape, you, you're such a coward, and you play behind the scenes, and blah, 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 blah. And he finally, in the sixth book, when Harry's like, you're a coward, get back here. And Snape's like, I am not a coward. You don't know what I've been through. It's like, and then when you read about it in the seventh book, it's like, holy shit, this guy, this guy is like the cog to everything. Yes. I mean, I respect Snape, and but I still hate the his guts, and he's... Yeah, and I still don't get why Harry ended up liking him. Yeah. I hated him for all those years, and then it's like, oh, he wanted to bang my mother, and he didn't care if I lived to die. Oh, he's not a bad person. It's like if Frodo named one of his kids Smeagol afterwards or something like that. It, it, this it's is really Smeagol. No. Like I said, we should probably do the book seven review and then the epilogue review. <laughs> uh, just, just, just on its own. Like, uh, as we're saying, like, Snape is very vindictive and he's just really, really, uh, I don't want to use the word petulant or something like that. He just seems such a bitchy person towards Potter and the people he surrounds himself with. And it's not even like, he doesn't pick on friend George as much. He does. He doesn't pick on anybody else in Gryffindor house. He just picks on them normally. But the, just because of the fact that he, they, Potter associates with Ron and Hermione, he takes an equal amount of pleasure in being a dick towards them. And he's, despite the like good good intentions as we like, it's later on highlighted. It's just one of those things that like you can tell it's a story that was not. It was like he J.K. Rowling had the major plot points figured out. Yes, but. Everything else in between was obviously definitely written on the fly. You look at how many stories is like, oh, it's an ongoing series. You think the characters' intentions are different or same in one book, but different in another. You kind of so it's like, all right, characters are growing in different situations, but it's also like these things are kind of just going on the fly, and it's like, oh, well, hopefully nobody really notices that if things are a little changing or something like that. Because Snape, it definitely seems at least in the first book that he was not a good person. At all. He just seems like just like the asshole teacher that everybody has to deal with. It doesn't seem like he's Dumbledore's right hand man behind all the behind the scenes that are running. He's not the Wizard of Oz at that point, just running everything from behind the curtain. But you gonna say Dakota? Uh I always wondered how Snape treated Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. Yeah, probably about the same. I, maybe not as much because of the natural hatred between Slytherin and Gryffindor. But I could still see him being a bitch to the two the two other houses. Because he, he, he probably seen them inferior in Slytherin's eyes. Well, that's and I, Slytherin was above all else for him. I, I don't think even I think Hufflepuffs weren't even a blimp. I think he probably like just ignored them. Like they're probably like the kids that like raised their hand for a question and he just like didn't care. Yeah, and then the Ravenclaws he probably was just harsher on because they're the ones that were probably picking it up pretty quickly. But um. He didn't want to acknowledge that. He wanted the Slytherins to shine. So I, I do think that was like a bypass. And, you know, my whole thing with, with Snape is I just, I I never found that he was a good person. Because even when you're like, oh, like, evil people fall in love. Like, it's not, 
unheard of. You, you Ava Braun, Hitler. Just uh, saying. Yeah, I was gonna say. I didn't know if that was like too extreme to bring like Hitler into comparison to Severus It's the Snape. internet. Hitler's always brought yeah, up somewhere. Yeah, but that's what it is. Like, I mean, evil people fall in love, and and they're gonna do dumb things for love, just like everybody else. But that doesn't mean they're good people. And yeah, like Snape had it rough growing up and all that stuff. But you look at, I, I mean, if you turn around and you compare Snape to Neville, like Neville had an awful freaking childhood and neville just had a pure heart and i i just don't think snape had that i'm just thinking now i, I want to like take all like the big scenes of like snape about his backstory and put um i would do anything for love underneath and just to see how <laughs> anything for love but i won't do that oh man i mean Going back to like we were saying, that like, I know we're totally off topic when it comes to Source for Stone, but then the idea is that like he would he would totally kill James and Harry just to get to Lily, and it's obviously like, it's not like even if he did that hypothetical situation, you think Lily is going to go with him? Yeah. Like you just murdered the two people I cared about most in this earth, and now I'm supposed to fall in love with you? Whoop. Well, this is also the same guy that after calling her a mudblood, he slept outside of the Gryffindor Tower just to see Lily, just to apologize. Yes, he's not. He's conflicted, He's obviously. He's conflicted, yeah. And he, for some reason, he just see oh, the way James Potter treated him. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that this deserves hate. This deserves the definition of hate because James was a dick. He hazed him really hard. Oh God, he was bullying to like the extreme. This is like what causes some people to go off the rails and stab people. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> I mean, he came up with a curse to slice James up. Yes. The one that he wrote down in his yeah, diary. Yeah. Oh, my lisp. My lisp is not going to let me say this, but it's like Sekasemtra or something. Like that Harry uses right on Draco has... really quick. Se- 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 Thank you. I would never have remembered that. What was it again? Yeah, Sekasemtra. <laughs> Two points yeah. for you. For Gryffindor. And point five points for Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> but, as we were saying. Lisp life. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag lisp life. <laughs> Um, um and, but he doesn't end up using it on james does he no okay yeah i think you probably may have used it on a pillow or something and it's like oh shit <laughs> well, I this probably is shouldn't... a little bit too extreme <laughs> anyway but yeah no it's... and then you feel like you have more to say about snape no you could talk about snape forever but yeah let's Maybe go on to quarrel pro- professor quarrel i know it's a little harsh to say it as somebody with like a start it's like son of a Bitch. I mean, I don't think the out of everyone in the first book, Quirrell was the least attended to. And I think that's the point of it. I mean, he, he's so unassuming, he was so under the radar. Nobody it, suspected him. No, it was, he was like categorized almost as Flitwick or uh, Professor Binns. You just didn't know who these people were. Yeah, he was just some weird professor with a stuttering habit and a turban. That's it, and he smelled like garlic. That's all you knew about him. And then just Snape was bullying him. Why was Snape bullying him? Because you think that Snape's trying to get the stone. Yeah. Snape being Snape. <laughs> Snape's gonna Snape Snape. <laughs> Snape is gonna Snape. Um, you know, All day is what I do. Well, so hard to stay serious. I'm gonna fall asleep to die hard tonight. I'm just gonna chuckle to what's of myself now. Yeah, from one you know speech impediment to another, I always kind of like felt for Quirrell, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap! I just you know I was feeling empathetic for the Dark Lord. I mean, the stutter. 
it was, was to throw people. Yeah, and yeah. that's why, like, so the whole book, I'm like, he's this poor professor. He's just a stutter. He's just trying to say words. Like, he's really scared. He had all these traumatic things happen to him in the forest. And you turn out, like, oh, yeah, traumatic, like, the Dark Lord's souls in the back of his head. But, um... I, I do think he, they they left him unattended because you were supposed to be caught off guard. That was like that plot twist. And I th- when you think about it, this is a kid's book. So it was supposed to be a plot twist that, you know, a kid could it's handle. Awful. So if they had uh, super developed Quirrell and, like, tried to go complete left field, like, just kidding, this is Voldemort, like, it would have thrown you off. Like if they developed him like they did Lupin, and then all of a sudden Lupin was had fucking and Voldemort's face growing out of his head. That would have been like what? But it, it, I mean, that would be a horrible trip. <laughs> but I, I, I had to choose a werewolf. This is so uncomfortable when he transforms. My face grows twice. I have little. fleas. I have fleas crawling into my weird nostrils right now, <laughs> and I can't itch my nose. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my forked tongue will get it. <laughs> <laughs> nope. You seem like you have more to say on uh, him, Nikki. What? Say that one more time. You seem like you seem like you have more to say about Quarrel. No, no. I think I actually was kind of done with that. Um, you know, I just like I said, I I think for uh, if you if you take a demographic like eleven year olds that are reading this book, I mean, even like I was fifth grade reading this, I I think it's just the right amount of evil to start you off on this series. Like, I, I like that Voldemort's character grows as the series goes on, and it's not thrown... Uh, you know he's as evil as evil can come, but you don't know how evil. You don't know his backstory. You don't... You know, that first chapter of... Uh, uh, what's his freaking... Goblet of Fire, um, when you go to the Riddle House. Like, you start to learn these things, and I don't think, had they put that in book one, you would get these fans that grew with the series. I right. think it would have been too much. It would have turned people off, because that it was just enough to be like... Hmm, there's a second book. Let me go check this out. Right. And your feelings on Quirrell, Dakota? I mean, I... It's, it's just like, like, other than, like, the few defining things, like you said, it was just like he was just that until the final chapter. Yeah, it was just that, and it's just like, oh, I feel bad for him, because what does he have to offer to Snape? Because we don't know anything about him. Right. What does... What, what does Snape know that we don't know? And it's feel like nobody takes him seriously. Not even the students take him too no, seriously. Because, he, because he, he plays up the fact that he's seen, he's seen so much and it scared the living hell out of him. Like they said that like in one thing where something was as innocent as like some a cat just jumps up on a table like he yeah. freaked the hell out. Right. Um, in the wizarding world, a cat could be a person. So like... <laughs> If a cat jumps on a table, you know, it could be Professor McGonagall. <laughs> so you really, you just don't know in the wizarding world. It makes you like question any plant, any creature, anything coming at you. It's a terrifying place now when you come to that slight realization about it. Now, with Quirrell, the one thing I like I know is like does he shake Harry's hand in the first chat? No. Well, he okay, he does refuse not to touch him because he knows. No, he doesn't he doesn't know, but he refuses to touch him. Right. Yeah. There was one thing where I I mean, in the movie, they show Harry Six in his hand, and he just goes up. Like, I'm like, the, yeah. yes. Because <laughs> even um, when the sorting ceremony's over, um, Harry thinks it's Snape looking at him, but it's actually Snape and Quirrell. Yeah. And Harry's scar. Of, the back of Quirrell's head was looking Yeah, at yeah. So, like, Harry's scar went off. So, if he had touched Harry... I think it would have, like, Harry would have had an instant reaction. Right. Um, and then that would have been too soon. So it's good that he didn't. Right. And I'm just kind of thinking now, like, if he touched him, I'm trying to think, like, you know, like, Lord of the Rings when 
when um, Gandalf's about to touch the ring for the first time, and you see the Iris Sour. Yeah, I just think it's like that kind of moment. Just like, just just a scar. It, it, full fight. Just, ah, ah. His hand would burn, and then you Obviously. would have Dumb- Dumbledore hand from the sixth book. I, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a black kind of shiver. <laughs> Can you have me your other hand? No, it's the only chance. Oh, man. <laughs> We're going to hell. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. Anyway, man. so Quirrell, like, and I love the fact that it, when we see him at the end, right in front of the mirror, and he turns to face him, and he, the stutter is completely gone, and he, he has his very actions that, he accuses uh, Potter of what he's done to the great uh, dark Lord Voldemort that's growing in the back of his head. Yeah. And, and then you see Voldemort trying to work his magic of, which we find out in later books, how he can manipulate people with just the right words. Yes. It's like you, and he was playing on the whole fact that he doesn't have family. family. So it's like you and me can do, can get the stone together. You could help revive me. And together we can we can use the stone's power to bring back your family, which is what you always wanted. Yeah, and it's like, damn. That's a, that's a, the like, best best plots are best villain plots are like the hero and the villain want the same thing, but just probably for different intentions. Yeah, and Harry is legitimately like oh. he considers it, and he's just like, oh shit, like, like how many like how many times it's just like. Villains just like just like take my hand and trust me and we'll go through this and it'll be fine. Just help me out with help me help you <laughs> situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a thought and then it went away. It must have been a it was earth shattering thought. Yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's talk about our favorite moments of the book and. Why they're why they've stuck out with us to this day? What, what should we talk about Quidditch? Well, this could fall under the factor of like your favorite, like unless you want to talk about Quidditch in its own, in its own right. I think it deserves to be talked about. All right, about then, in there, its since right. you brought the idea to the table, you open it up. Okay, so as my leg falls asleep. for those who don't know, Quidditch is a sport where there's three goals: uh, a keeper on each end, which is a goalie; uh, two beaters, which hit the set of balls called the bludgers, which fly around. And try to get people bludgeon people. <laughs> yes, um, the quaffle, which three chasers pretty much play around with to score on the goals to get past the keeper, and then you have the seeker who goes after the snitch, which is this tiny walnut, golden walnut flies around, which is very hard to see, and the game's not over until the snitch is captured. Yes, it works well in the book. Um, I'll just leave that like just in the book. It's great. It's in. It gets you involved. It's like this is a new element of this whole world because like where can this sport of quidditch go yeah and like what other sports do wizards have that muggles don't have which is never addressed but it no one it's, it's like it's like it's almost like a one and only thing kind of yeah but in it serves in the book so well because there's some things where it's like harry's not harry's like brave and strong and stuff like that but he's not the best at anything except he's naturally a natural born flyer yeah and he, this is, and he kind of just, this is how he is. And they kind of then transforms him throughout the series where he's kind of a jock at sometimes where it's like, this is his goal. And this is part of what he does. Right. And he kind of can be a douchebag because of it. It's because I feel like that's, he's like Harry, Harry is defined for the most part of the books as Harry, Ron and Hermione. They threw them together almost as their own identity. Mm-hmm. Quidditch is one of those things that 
It's him. Yeah, and it's also it's him, but he's also not the boy that lived in that situation either. He's just he's part Harry of the Seeker. Yeah. Which is, I think, and it helps shape his character throughout the series, though I feel like it is actually something that's very important to the book series. Yet the movies, sadly, could not translate it as much as it could in comparison in comparison to how the story tells Well, they completely be. cut it out in the fourth movie. Which is really unfortunate. Which is unfortunate because there was a huge plot. The plot worked around the whole World Cup. Yes. But oh, God. Once no. again, that's for a different show. <laughs> No, I I think you needed a sport. Um, I think in order for people to connect, I mean, it's just like sporting in the muggle world. Um, you know, sports bring people together. It, it doesn't matter what economic status you are. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, where you're from. It's just a matter of, hey, we like this sport. We can talk about it. You can talk with complete strangers um, about it. So I, I do think, and because that's even one of the first questions Ron asks Harry, like, oh, what's your Quidditch team? And Harry's just like, huh? But, um, you know, even I, Harry was, he, he just naturally fit. And it's funny because um, I remember reading, it was like, oh, Dudley's really good at hitting things, um, but only when he could catch Harry, who was naturally fast. So it's funny that he's fast on, on land, and then he gets in the air, and he's even better. Um, and it's kind of fun to see people play Quidditch, like, in real life, outside of these books. I saw one time, I went to visit Gen C, and I saw people, and we're just... And it was funny because, like, Frost Weagle, we're doing this road hockey broadcast there. So we're just, like, trying to find the hockey arena. And we see people playing Quidditch on the ground. And we're like... They take it very seriously. Yeah. And, and I will admit, a few jokes were made because of... Uh, I, at their expense. I, I will admit that. I haven't had the honor to witness a Quidditch. Witness! Tournament. Sorry. They make, it's like ultimate... It's almost... They made their own ultimate Frisbee league of Quidditch. Yeah. I don't know how the Bludgers or the, or the Snitch works, but... From what I understand, like, I haven't played it. I've only, I, from what I understand, it's like, y- you have, like, a certain amount of points. Like, you have to do a certain amount of running in order to, as the Seeker, in order to count that. And I, I think more, the bludgeon's more like, um, you just, like, an extra set of chasers. Like, I don't, I don't think they actually use those particular characters. <laughs> it's got, like, a bunch of dodgeballs. Imagine, just, like, just throwing people shit at them. At each other. And then, like, the other set of bludgers has to deflect the dodgeballs being hurled at the chasers. Yeah. I mean, that could be cool. But, yeah, no, it just, I feel like Quidditch was a very important part, and it's so essential to the story that it's sometimes overlooked. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the movies, it doesn't really matter, because some of the worst acting takes place in those Quidditch matches. But... Well, you gotta admit, they're young kids, and they're in front of a green screen, for probably for hours on no, end. No, no, The first movie, and, no, for the, the, the Quidditch matches were shot up in the air. Oh, that okay. That was real. They actually put... Uh, Daniel Radcliffe 20 feet in the air to shoot shoot his scenes, which most of his scenes were just him on a broom going, and ha, and okay, Harry, Daniel, whatever the fuck your name is, emote happiness. Ah. Okay, okay. Which is something now, he struggles with as now, an actor. Yeah, now emote anger. Like you've just seen something horrible. Good. Okay. Now, hands, now put out your hand ready for some balls. I mean, a ball. <laughs> like you're going to catch a frisbee. That's just like... Okay, now emote like what I taught you. Yes. No. So, so you mm-hmm. had like guys have these fantasies of being like in Radcliffe's shoes, shooting these scenes. Is no, that, I had like... fantasies of the director being like an idiot when it comes to those scenes. Yeah, it was really planned out. Like you had that really like nailed down. <laughs> so like I really think you've done that. Before. Just drive to work. Like, ooh, this is gonna be so good. I'm stuck in traffic. But they are, and they're you know they're very little experienced child actors too. So like. I'll... <sighs> 
I just, like, I just have to divide by the uh, captain of the Slytherin team in the movie. He has these horrible fake teeth, and oh. he just looks just... <laughs> and then when he speaks, it's just like, this is the most angriest kid you ever meet. Take that side! Oh my god, uh, sure. Walk this way! And he... he he clubs wood at one point in the movie. It's like in the movie, it just yeah. makes it total like uh, this farce of it. Right? Yeah, but also you like going on the actors in the first movie. You went back and rewatched the first movie. Was, oh my god, uh, I can sum up the movie in three seconds or a minute. If and that's a big. That's a fifty-seven second difference. Which one? Of them? <laughs> it's a minute. Okay. It, the movie is literally paced like you're a wizard, Harry. Oh, look at the green guns. Okay, on the train. Here we go. My name's Ron Weasley. How many gangsta? Let's go sorting. Blah 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 blah. Oh, Voldemort. Oh my God. Stone still done. Everyone's dead. Dumbledore favoritism at the end. Bump 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 bump. That's the movie. It's so horribly paced to the point. It's like I need I need a drink because this is this. Is, May I think is why I like Chamber Secrets the most because I think it's better paced than the it, first one. It's so much better. And, and the third and the third movie is definitely, even though it cuts out a lot, it doesn't cut out a lot. It just throws the book into a blunder and they just decide to piece it back whenever. Yeah, but that's also Alfonso Cuarón's like he he got Rowling's blessing to do that. Yes, but, but we're anyway. going to talk about the movie some other time. But yeah. Yes. About Quidditch. Are we going back to Quidditch? <laughs> I, I, all right, let's talk about the broomsticks itself and with Harry's relationship with broomsticks, especially in the, uh, let's talk about the least of the first book anyway. Um, that's a hard one to just throw me onto. Well, I was just going to say I really love Oliver Wood's character, but they wood like wood for wood. <laughs> wood, for wood. Um, Hashtag but, Wood Lives Matter. <laughs> I think it's kind of good that Harry took straight to flying. Um, I think he had to take straight to something because I think he really would have just been really discouraged and set behind everybody, especially because it's different being a muggle-born and coming into magic. Um, everybody kind of expects you to have a little bit of a leg. Um, but for him, who's one of the most famous wizarding kids, to kind of be behind the draw, I don't think it would have been good. So it's kind of nice that they're like, hey, we never let first years play, but, you know, you were special. So. <laughs> There's that favoritism yeah. right there again. I mean, it was, I mean, that whole sequence with the when they're the flying lessons, the, the the book handled it so much better than the movie did. Um, but with Neville losing his remember all, Malfoy going up and saying, "Oh, I got this asshole's ball," and. <laughs> I got this asshole's <laughs> ball right okay. here. No, 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 no. Did you see his? Did, did you see that uh, idiot's face when he fell on his fat ass? That's something that's like uh, as close to a line as it. Yeah, here, Malfoy. Oh, it's so much, so great direction. <laughs> um, but no, the whole sequence with the flying thing and where Malfoy was actually like, you could see he was stunned because he kind of knows that Harry's kind of a really like deer in headlights when it comes to the wisdom world and how he just takes to flying like um a pig in mud almost and it's just like he he's written like oh my god malfoy was like shocked to see this okay so it's like okay well who's who's claims to spend years doing working on on his flying skills yeah he's amazing flyer and everything like that so he hurls the remember all and harry chases it and in a 20-foot dive pulls out and it's like he Harry's like, oh my god, I did it! And then you see McGonagall coming across, and he's like, oh no! And then she's just like so angry that she has no words, and she's just follow me. And it's like, well, I'll see you guys later. 
womp, womp. And he follows him. And she goes into the, one of the classrooms and says, I need wood. And he's like, oh, she's going to beat me with a log or something. And then wood comes out. And it's like, who are you? You're not a log. You're not a log. Who are you? Who are you? And then she explains. And then, like, oh, he wood. He caught that tiny ball, like, in a 20-foot dive to the ground. It was amazing. And he's like, oh, my God. God, you're, that sounds amazing. He's sizing him up and everything. It's such a good scene in the book. Yes. And um, the one thing about the movie they really didn't do, Wood was 15 years old, and they describe it as kind of like burly and brawn. Yeah, and yeah. They wood, had like, in the, wood in the movie was like a twig. A twig. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You just kind of got any Irish guy to play this, didn't you? That's true. <laughs> pick somebody out of a crowd but that goes back to mcgonagall and the rule following because here's someone who's a very strict very much follows rules but broke it for harry so like i think that's kind of why like i like her character opposed to uh, another rule follower like umbridge like um you know there there's something there and i think that just goes back to the sports being like a an icebreaker because um had I, I do feel had Harry not had Quidditch, I don't think he would have taken to so many friends, if that makes sense. Like, not that he was, like, you know, Mr. Popularity. He has his moments, especially throughout the series. He's totally secluded. But um, I think he needed that separation from the trio because, I, you know, even too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So he needed that individuality. But also kind of validates people's sayings about him. Because everybody said, like, oh, he's the one who lived. He's the one to stop the Dark Lord. Yet... He's kind of an idiot when it comes to everything else. Yet he put him on a broom. It kind of validates the kind of the, the assumptions that people have of Harry, of having great skill. And like I said, for, like you guys said, first year being on on the Quidditch team, that's not that does not happen normally. And how he he takes it like a fish to water and just immediately becomes so connected to it. And it's one of those things that like throughout the rest of the books that he just becomes so intertwined with him, and especially with the rest of the plots are going that. Like I was saying, like with Hagrid, like if it was not, if Quidditch was not part of the Harry Potter series in general, something would have been missing. You said, like something, like if it was not there, and you'd be like, I don't know, something's, you wish there was something else I could define him at, but with, but now that we have Quidditch and we have his, with his Nimbus 2000 in the first book, which Dumbledore bought for him, is that correct? Right. McGonagall. McGonagall. McGonagall, okay. And. Which was another great, which was another great scene in the book where he receives the broom and the note says, don't open this at the table, Professor McGonagall. Right, he's running right. out the room, and Draco Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle stop him and like, "What? what? You have a broom? This is you're going to get in so much trouble." And Professor Frick walks by, like, "Professor Harry's got a broom." And Professor Frick goes, "Yes, Professor McGonagall has told us about the arrangements." And Draco Malfoy was going like, ah! and "Professor Frick was like, I have so much shit to do today. I, it takes me longer to get across the castle and, than you, okay?" And then Harry looks at Malfoy like. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. And flew out of there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, let's say, let's go to your favorite parts of this book. Dakota. Since it's pointed at you. <laughs> you, tried, you. You tried to show. All right, fine. All right, you want me to come back to you? No, don't come back to you. No, I mean, uh... <laughs> Jesus, is nobody prepared. I already prepared, but... said my favorite parts. The whole when Harry discovers his flying ability and the whole lead up to the Quidditch thing. Okay. I mean, the Quidditch match itself wasn't my favorite part of the book. But the whole lead up to like, oh my god, Harry just discovered that he's actually good at something, and he's not completely out of his element with it coming because it's coming all natural to him, and it, it's like one of those things where it's like for me, growing up, it's like okay, well, I don't know what I'm good at, but something when you find something that you're actually talented at, you you stick to it, and that's what defines you. 
Right. And, and, it's, and it builds your confidence and you just feel like you fit in all of a sudden with everyone else who has something going for them. Right. And it's like one of those things, especially with me when I was growing up, I was I always had problems with uh, certain classes, but if I knew I was good at it, I excelled them. Like I loved history, so I, I excelled that. And I enjoyed English. I did okay with like science. I was like, all right. Same thing with math. But the certain subjects that I really enjoyed, I put forth the effort. That's where I ended up because it's like like you were saying, you know what's good for you, or at least you find something that you really that really that really comes to define you. And just like, yeah. all right, I'm gonna run with this. Yeah. Well, for me, it was uh, when I found out I was above average at like drawing and cartooning and all that stuff, where I could actually like now go home draw things that are, some people can't even do stick figures. Right. So it's like one I of those things. I can barely do stick figures. Yeah. So it's like one of those things. Where it's like, oh my god, I have this place to go and be me and everything like that. It's a release from everything that's going on. And in Harry Potter, that was Quidditch for Harry. It was one of those things when he once he steps on the broom, he's in his own world, it, this is what he's focused on. So for me, those were my favorite parts of the book because it's like I can totally connect to the feeling of what Harry's going through with this just, just I'm in a whole different world. This is what this is what I meant to do. Right. I mean, I'm not drawing for a living, but it's still one of those my one of my favorite hobbies to do just to get a break from everything else. Mm-hmm. And Nikki. Gosh, my <laughs> if I had to absolutely pick a favorite part, it, it probably does have to be that moment with Dumbledore and Harry in the mirror. Um, and, you know, the, the cliche, it does not dwell to live on dreams and forget to live. Um, I I like that when Harry is lied to by Dumbledore, it's always in really clever ways because he says, oh, like, Professor, what do you see? And he's like, oh, I see myself with some socks. You know, I just keep getting books for presents. Um, so for, for me, like, the fact that um, just Dumbledore is just freaking clever. Like, he's one of those people that, like, uh, he Jedi mind tricks you. Like, you want to know one answer and you get something completely different. And um, I can tell you my least favorite part of the book, too. Well, we'll, 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 let's (laughs) let's do the round table with the good parts and then we'll get to the least favorite parts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, who put you in trust? Because I'm clever, that's why. Thanks, Doctor. Um, I probably my favorite part is the chapter in the in the the forest when they have detention, and then the dealing with the creatures that are in there because it's like it's one of those things like Voldemort. Everybody talks about the forest. Do not go in, and but it's also like one of the things with this book that I noticed that Rowling was very Elise had at least a first hand knowledge at least of the what mythologies have been presented thus far. And she uses them. She uses mystical creatures like unicorns, sphinxes, and things of that nature, goblins and trolls, but uses it in her own universe. She's like, all right, I'm going to take it, what we kind of already know. I'm not going to give too much detail that I'm just going to drop them in and they're going to perform this in this story. And having unicorns being this kind of pure creature that cannot be caught in certain stories... And have then that being the elixir to keep, try to keep Voldemort alive. And in that one moment, and I, it may have been like part of the movie that kind of like ingrained this image to me. Like when we see Quirrell kind of just like glide around the ground, then eventually just stand up. That was a cool shot. And and then the centaurs who had this kind of slight attitude towards humans. Yeah, but the centaurs also gave off that I know something I really don't want. I really cannot tell you. Yes, and, and but and they trying their best to help him in the situation. Well, in the book, uh, Ferenz 
is the only one that's willing to help. Yeah. Every, all the other, like... It's just, they're kind of mesmerized yeah, by the astrology at the moment. Yeah, well, they, that's them pushing it, everything off for them to not speak. But, like, the whole argument between Ferenz and Bane about, like, you're, what you're not supposed to help him. Yeah. This is not what... This is... He's supposed to... They're pretty much saying he's supposed to die by this guy. He's supposed to be killed by Voldemort. And right. you're, you're messing it up. Yes. And, and then he's like, it's like one of those things that like he tries. It's everybody has a certain assumption about everybody, and it seems like with these books, everybody's pushing beyond that and proving everybody wrong. Neville Longbond being one of them, Ron being like he's not going to achieve anything. He does. Hermione's just going to be a bookworm and that she cannot be really sociable or get uh, get along with certain other people. Does Harry's supposed to be the chosen one? He's supposed to do great things. Does. But in his own way, mm-hmm. he's not going to do it in anybody's terms. But his, himself, it's like one of those first things, like like the first like breadcrumbs that kind of that's paid off later, as well as the fact that Hagrid's nervous going to the, the forest, and he's always been the brave person in the book thus far, and that he's arming himself when he goes into the forest. And you're like, and like, all right, this if you need help, this if you see something when he put up the sparks, and you're like. All right, these kids are actually—they're in mortal danger going into this forest, and the, you got to question the school's willing to put themselves in like. <laughs> would you rather have them stretched across like a table with chains right now, or deal with a, a dangerous animal that could be killing these unicorns in the forest? Yeah, that, that was a huge plot hole. Just yeah, but it's also like, and I love the fact that like one of my favorite jokes is like Draco's like, "Well, I'm taking Fang." Hmm, well, you can do that, but he's a bloody coward. And the thing who's like the giant bloodhound and just like just a big mush part compared when when you really think about it. All right, so unless you guys have anything else to talk about, but the best moments you have you guys thought of the worst moments of the book? I after you said think about a worst moment, I have, and it is anything with the Dursleys. It's just it's grating. It it's so nerve. It makes you like actually angry because it's like if there are there, you know that. There is people like this in the world. And it's oh, like, totally. And it's like, but you're given a child and you literally destroy him and he didn't do anything wrong. It's like, you are, you are just animals. And it's like, I really, if I could in the book series, I would skip over the whole Dursley saying if it didn't have a payoff. Yeah. I mean, even their comeuppance just seemed like not, not, not what they deserve. Right. I mean, Dudley getting a pigtail was the least that could happen. It's true. It, it's just, uh, all the book series, it's just like, I understand why the Dursleys are, like, purposely like this. It's just to keep Harry, like, downtrodden, and it kind of helps to make him all sorts of pissed off of later on. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, it, in real life, I mean, Aunt Petunia's sister just died, and you're now giving her... And she's very sanctimonious about and it, too, she, and just like... But, I mean, going future head, they were close, yeah, and Petunia and uh, Petunia and Lily—they were very close as kids, and it, but an incredible amount of jealousy for Lily. Oh yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, but it was just one of those things. Where it's like your sister died, and here's your nephew, who's a baby who just lost everything, and you don't have an ounce of pity. Like what? What? I don't get it. Like it's just like you have to be an asshole. You're beyond an asshole. It's just, I mean, I don't know how to articulate how frustrating it is to read these parts for me because it's just like, I don't get it. it, it I can agree with you because, like, like, I'm listening to the audiobooks, so I'm like, 
Can I just skip this chapter? Can I just go? Can I just, yeah, go? just go to the world, to the wizarding world? But I'm like, oh, no, it wouldn't be right if I do that. So I, I sit through the pain and agony that he has to deal with at the Dursley's hands. And you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, no, it's it's funny. My least part actually has to do in part with the Dursleys, but um, I I agree with you. I think it's it's crazy. Like even if um you have this resentment for Lily and James. Uh, it has nothing to do with Harry. Like, it to the point where Vernon didn't even know if his name was Harry. Like, so, okay, fine, you want to abandon the family before you have him. Uh, you know, that that's one thing. But when you have this baby who is just vulnerable and defenseless and you, you let him basically become a toy to your own son, your own spoiled, spoiled, spoiled son. And I just don't understand how they saw that as okay. Because it's almost like at two polar uh, opposite extremes of how awful parents can be because you have those parents that just raise these entitled and awful and evil children and then you have these parents who just uh, just abuse that's it's just flat out abuse what harry has to go through and um you know i mean he's getting punished for gets punished for his hair growing back it's like a week in the cupboard uh and it's like you know things that he has no control of he didn't get punished for the sweater shrinking but he like this being on the school roof He's like, I have no idea how I got up there, and and my least, I'm afraid of snakes, and Chamber of Secrets is awful for me. I like <laughs> that. But I, I'm definitely afraid of snakes. I've always since I was snakes. little. Why so. did it have to be snakes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, very dangerous. <laughs> you you go first. <laughs> so you know when they go to the zoo, and poor Harry's just having the greatest day of his life. He's not hearing about any freaking cats. He's he has a, a, a lemon icy. And he's just over the moon. And he, you know, Vernon's pulling this Darla with the freaking snake that I hate that they're even in front of. And he's tapping the glass. And, you know, poor Harry's having a moment with this. He just connects. He's like, I understand. I get what it's like to be bred in captivity. I, I get why you must hate this. And then he sets the snake free. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm not in that zoo right now. But, um, and... It, they they punish him oh until summer they they leave him until summer over there's no logical way even though they know magic exists that they how do you explain your rationale for punishing this kid because he doesn't know magic exists he has no clue that he's the reason this happened all anyone knows is that one minute there's glass one minute there's not and freaking snake was loose in the zoo <laughs> it's also one of those things like growing having harry grow up are you how can you be constantly angry at one person it's just it's physically and mentally impossible to just be just pure anger at one person even though a person that you absolutely hate and you have to deal with like a day-to-day basis you have moments where you're both laughing and cracking jokes but it's like impossible to literally hate someone just every single day and every single second. It just uh, that's what that's what frustrates me because it's like, and that's like I guess I understand like okay, well they really don't want him to be a wizard or anything like that. But at the same time, it's like they had he had zero. There had there had to be some moments where it's just like, okay, we actually rem- like, hey, how's it going? Type yeah, yeah, and it's like one of those things. Just like let's try. Like even give just like. Despite all the horrible things in, just say like, like how are you doing, or, or or just like get break him off just a little bit, just to give him so he doesn't end up just waking up in the middle of the night and murdering you in your sleep. Yeah, you don't want like an Anvil horror thing to happen or something like that. <laughs> it turns it to Halloween. 
Harry, where's the where's the Dursleys? <laughs> big big camera move, pull out. Too, uh, it's they so held in on him not being a wizard. You would think they would have treated him better so that he wouldn't be enticed. Like, like I'm sorry, you teach your kids not to talk to strangers, and Harry just blindly goes with Haggard. He's like, "What? You brought me cake? Bye!" Like, so I, you think, like I, I just think who they are as people is unfortunate that there are people out there like this, but are really that self-centered, that set in their ways, that they don't realize that the thing they're trying to prevent, they actually encourage. Yeah. And I know this is not like the most like one-to-one comparison, but I remember one time working at Walmart, since I worked at, in the toys department, so I dealt with a lot of families and stuff like that. There's one family, family of four, husband, wife, two kids, and the mother, I could smell the alcohol on her. And we were just like berating everybody in the family. And none of the, like even the husband who couldn't really do anything just like that. And like all three of them just kind of shamed the flat. And I'm just kind of standing there and just like, get, like, and just like, yeah, these guys to be strong. And, da, 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 and just going off on this rant. I'm like, I, yeah, I wish I could do something like that because you're just putting all three, three of these people down and you're just embarrassing them and you just feel bad for them. You want to do something and you just like wish you could do something. It's kind of like a, one of the things I that kind of came back when I was reading this. I'm like, I wish I could just stand there and just yell back at the Dursleys. Like, no, just leave this kid alone. Just show him some compassion, a fraction of what you show uh, Dudley and you'll be fine. You will have no problems. He's never going to give you any, anything to be angry about treating him the way he is. That's why he ends up treating them. So some, a little iffy throughout the rest of the books. Some where, type of way. That's how he treats them. Some yeah. I, I, like he, like he only blows up his aunt accidentally. Like, that was deserved. Oh, she totally deserved yeah, it. But I was just like, like, like if Marge you, had it, it coming. Like if she, if she had like what, a few less <laughs> drinks and stuff like that and treated him like a normal person, yeah. she would not have ended up like a balloon floating over London. I just think, save him, save yourself and save himself from anything and just make him leave the room. Yeah. That would have been the probably the best situ- thing to do, but no, you had to sit there and take it. Yeah. And you, what you what, what 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 was the outcome you were expecting? Yeah, exactly. It's like you uh, you can't ha- can't blame anyone but yourself in that situation because mm-hmm. you had the he, you had the clear thing to say get the get the hell out of here. Yeah. And you not everything would have been fine. Marge would not have been blown up. Harry could have went to Hogsmeade. Yeah. Everything would have been cool. Everything would have been fine. And the the thing that I, that makes me aggravated the most in this book is a theme that it's a thing that it's prevalent throughout the rest of the books. It's Ron and Hermione's relationship at times. They could be that he Ron could be such a douche to Hermione, like like making fun of the fact like oh that's the reason why she doesn't have any friends and Hermione brushes back him and she's crying yeah. and I'm just like and like for the longest time. I did not have that many friends, and so like like whenever I had like whenever I see like one like who person who's taking um, advantage of the fact that like he has friends and stuff like that and t- and just like um just like oh i'm gonna have friends forever i can say whatever i want to do with no repercussions and he has that moment when he says that and he's really mean towards Hermione. and it's like one of those things that it always comes like a shorthand throughout the rest of the books that like ron Hermione will immediately butt heads yet they end up together i guess opposites attract i think that's what this, i guess that's what jk rowling was trying to get across but like everything else i really enjoy but it's just like some of that really irked me and just like it seems like it's really contrived that's more like what you have a problem with the well we were dursley series here i mean you have a problem with the series with that i mean i guess the dursleys is the same thing with me but never mind 
But like you're saying, like, I was going to say so it was it's a dumb argument because I just said did the same thing. Never mind. Right. Well, you know what? And I see where you're coming from because there was a, a good period of time when like the Harry Potter books were like my best friend. Like that's who I spent like after school with. And yeah. that's why I've read like Goblet of Fire like 52 times. It's disgusting. But like who's counting? Yeah, but who's counting? <laughs> um, but no, I, I do think that that also plays into I think we forget and especially because we were so young when we were reading like these are 11 year olds if you have a conversation with an 11 year old like that's stuff they do they're mean to girls oh yeah boys are mean to girls and you know what hermione uh the way she was coming across to ron i could see why with ron's personality that would peeve him yeah like um she would i mean she always does press his buttons and you know vice versa Mm -hmm. but um yeah and i i think he knew i think the minute he said that because like that's a rough that was a rough thing to say. And you know, you ever have those moments where you don't, you don't mean it and you say it anyway. And, and then you immediately, the minute, yeah, the minute it came out, you're like, I'm just a douchebag. And I, I think that's why from that moment forward, uh, things change. And I do think as they, they grow into puberty and all that good stuff, um, that's why a relationship kind of developed because I think he always kind of felt like, man, I did this wrong. Let's do this right. Yeah. Um, and I like them as a couple. I know it's, the other way around, you, and but... had, you and I had that conversation. Um, what was the conversation? Tim brought up, is like, oh, do you really think that Hermione and Harry should have ended up together? And uh, I was like, mm, no, they pretty much lose. Not, not taking anything away from Ginny or anything like yeah, that. Well, the, that was the whole point because the parallels between uh, Harry and Ginny and Lily and, and James were there. Because mm-hmm. Lily was a redhead, Ginny's a redhead, Lily was feisty, Ginny is feisty. Yeah. And James and Harry are practically the same person. So they have the parallels there. But it make, but you don't f- question that it was contrived that Ginny and Harry are going to end up together. Because you actually see the relationship happen. Because she's always infatuated with him when she's she, a she's kid. Always, she always... Oh, and they even admit it. Like, even, oh, yeah, yeah, she's like really sheepish to, around him. Yeah, and then the second book was hysterical. The fact that she could not talk around uh which my sister is notorious for whenever she's around someone that she actually likes she I can't say a word yeah it. yeah it's just so the weirdest <laughs> thing <laughs> i'm 25 and i'm in i'm 25 well basically 25 in a committed relationship and i still i'm like oh my god that person's so attractive and i was like i can't like it's like a girl i guess it's like a girl thing like i guess we just do that but like so when Ginny like loses her shit over Harry, I'm like, oh my god, Ginny's such a girl, <laughs> and like there's like that bond, and especially it's harder because um, you know Ginny's one of the stronger. I mean, you have a a boy hero like that's Harry's the character you're following, so it, it's nice to have these strong female roles that are important to Harry's storyline as well. Um, that's what makes this story so gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Because if it was just Harry and Ron, it, it'd be kind of like a Hardy Boys. Like, you need, where's the Nancy Drew? So yeah. <laughs> The Hardy Boys. Two but, young chaps who don't forget to get to adventures. Oh, I've got a rigid clue right now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the whole series was building up to the Ron and Hermione. Like, it was, like, to the point if you actually take them older and they just keep bickering like they do it. It's like, oh, my God, just fuck already. Yeah, it's just like one of those things. <laughs> it's just like one of those things. But, you, I mean, you see it coming, and but you don't hate that it's coming. No. Uh, and the same thing with Ginny and Harry where you see Ginny liking him, but then all of a sudden she starts dating other guys. And, yeah. kind of, and Harry's kind of like, oh. 
I, mean, I kind of liked having a girl like that really liked me. And then he was hanging out with Cho Chang. Yeah. Cho Chang was just like, yes, I like you a lot, Harry, but my dead boyfriend. <laughs> it's like, and Harry's like, oh, God damn it. But it's, you it's just like, what, had to bring up the dead boyfriend. <laughs> what, what was that um, in Hey Arnold, the girl he liked? Oh, um... Tall. No, that, uh, that's Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. <laughs> little redhead girl. Uh, she, well, she, it was a redhead, too. Yeah, I think she was a redhead as well. I, I, I hate a hair on so I've kind of admitted a lot. But it's like, she's like, they're amazing. Not saying you are, but. I mean, oh, come on. We had this discussion about Doctor Who. Who would you rather have? Rose, Rose Tyler, Martha, Amy, or Amy. We both said Amy. Pond. And it's like, because why? She's a fiery redhead, and it's like, duh. she's like Scottish to the bone, right there. Oh, so, God, it's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> this is really revealing for Dakota's right? This entire podcast, everybody. I hope everybody's was prepared for that. And but the why, what did I say? <laughs> no, the reason why I bring up I bring up Hang Arnold is because it's like I like you, but I don't like you like you kind I, of thing. I understand that you like me, like me, Arnold, but I, I just, just like, like you. you. And it's kind of like the Shawshank thing that happened with Harry at one point once. Like, well, no, she was still interested in him. And even in the seventh book where she comes back to fight the Battle of Hogwarts and she's like, oh, my God, Harry, you've been on the run and you've been a dirt. You've been a naughty boy the entire time. And Ginny's like, fuck you, you fucking whore. I, it's my Bam. man. He is my man. Oh, man. But. <laughs> The, amidst the gigantic battle, there was a cat fight that stopped even the Death Eaters are like because Whoa. it was like okay, I need to go find the he- the the um the the crown of Ravenclaw, and uh, it's like I need to go find the crown of Ravenclaw. And Cho Chang's like, I'll take you to Ravenclaw Tower, and Jimmy's like, No, <laughs> Luna's going, um. and Luna's like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I, that's why I like J.K. Rowling because timing's everything, and that's why I kind of like that he went on that date. But, oh my god, we're the worst with keeping on the first <laughs> book. But yeah, I I just like. I'm gonna put a question mark at the end of the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything uh, that also... J.K. Rowling does, it's the it's the timing. It's uh, you know if if Harry had went on that date with Cho Chang after she had the appropriate amount of time to grieve, would he be with Cho Chang and not with Ginny? And it's it's just like you know you have those people you meet in your life like you know this relationship would have worked had we met later or earlier in time so she's just a master of being able to put reality into a fantasy series Mm -hmm. and that's why like even um there's a line in this book and i i didn't get it when i was younger and i got it on the reread um but mcgonagall's like you know Dumbledore, can't you do something about Harry Scar? And he's just like, well, you know, even if I could, Scars are powerful in their own right. And I was just like, oh my god, like, when you think about it, Harry Potter never ceases to amaze me on the ways that it can comfort, like, any real-world situation. You think Mm -hmm. about people who self-harm. Here's Dumbledore, who's, you know, naturally one of your your top favorite characters, saying, like, it's it's okay to have these scars. Like, they, they mean something. They build they, you. They help define you. Yeah. Look at his broken nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Or just be like Owen Wilson and be like, no, but my lot of my box office is predicated on the or, fact Or Dumbledore's uh, birthmark that's the perfect match of the British underground, you know? That's true. Uh, he has a scar. He has a scar, too. Yeah, yeah. That was a scar? I thought it was a, I thought it was a birthmark. I have a scar on my lefty. Oh, look at that. Oh, jeez. Well, now this is really revealing. <laughs> I don't get I have, wait, wait! I have a scar on my forehead. It's just right here, and I, I, 
Oh, hey, Harry Potter? <laughs> and like, and, and by Alec Baldwin's and, uh, delusion. <laughs> um, uh, just a real quick thing. Um, I, just getting back to the whole Sorcerer's Stone plot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah about that. Um, if you really, I mean, yeah, I love how J.K. Rowling took such something like the Sorcerer's Stone. I made Stone. this way Harry Potter part one. <laughs> it's the part one. It should be. Um, so she took the, the idea of the Philosopher's Stone and for people who don't know what the Philosopher's Stone was, turned it into the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes. Same thing. Still based on alchemy and everything like that. I think it was Scholastic, the one when they were reprinting it for American audiences. That's why they just changed a few things through, yeah. during the edit. Yeah. But the idea of it is she took a very dark, dark concept of a, of the, this item and turned it into something that's like, okay, you can understand that. But if you really – like. I mean, um, I'm not going to go on a huge tangent, but the show Full Metal Alchemist is a whole search for the Philosopher's, uh, Philosopher's Stone. Okay. And even, like, some stuff that I've seen on, like, PBS, like, about um, Isaac Newton, how he was searching for the Philosopher's Stone and everything mm-hmm. like that. It's a dark subject because it takes a lot of horrible stuff to make such a thing, like the theories behind it. Right. And if you really think about if you apply that logic to this world, it gets darker the more you think about it, which is great for an adult audience because it's like Nicholas Fumel and Dumbledore were working together to help perfect the Philosopher's Stone. So does that mean Dumbledore and uh, Nicholas Fumel sacrificed human beings to help make the Philosopher's Stone? Because that is part of it. You need like the certain mercury that is... If I remember correctly, uh, there's the symbol of the green lion. Okay. And uh, the green lion is this form of mercury that's made of human blood. Well. I mean, this that's where it gets dark. And uh, I could, I mean, someone who probably knows more about the whole uh, alchemy thing is probably like, no, eh, no, you're incorrect. This is what I remember from this Isaac Newton yeah. uh, PBS thing. It's dark. And it's awesome how she turns it into such a great child book but it's also that it's predicated on really dark stuff it's predicated on real dark stuff like everything in the series she talks about uh, all these different creatures and everything like that and uh like one thing that's briefly mentioned is a kappa in the third book like oh like when harry is like can't go to hogsmeade for the first time he stopped loop and stops and brings him along oh this is my um was it grindylow grindylow but it's like it's similar to a kappa, so they covered a kappa, which is a water demon. That's anyone brought by a water, it takes them, drowns them, and eats their soul. That's dark shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it kind of just kind of just glazes over the fact that like, oh yeah, there's just a part of this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, oh, for your final, you're going to take on a kappa. That, that that's that's what you're gonna do. Oh. No biggie. I studied all about kappas. Oh, really? And the and the bogger who's going to turn into a dementor, which I've kind of mastered by this point. And it's like we're saying with the with the philosopher's stone being like, like as we've said before, that Dumbledore's done things in the past that he's probably not too proud of. I mean that it as- it, it, it it leads it leads people to believe that maybe because Flamel obviously is a very selfish person who thinks he wants to live forever. That's why he makes it. Yeah. So he probably chose somebody. That he thought was not worthy of life, to willing to to sacrifice him for that, or found somebody who's willing to. They probably went to um um Azkaban, Azkaban for for, for the people there. They I, they're already the zo- the, the, yeah the, yeah. yeah somebody because that <laughs> they're soulless, so they're just killing them is probably the better, what's best for them. Right. No. 
Do they go through all twelve uses of the dragon's blood, or did they? They reference that he he, he, he has discovered that because the only I, that's why I was trying to get like the actual uh, thing, but because um, thinking about it, like maybe that was one of the properties of dragon's blood, like it it, it took its place of the human's blood, like a. Um, only, I mean, not to say, cause Dumbledore does do dark things and we do know that, but, um, I mean, that comes with age. I mean, uh, you know, you, you mean anyone that every good person has had, has done one bad thing. Like it, it's just like part of their storyline. Um, so I, I just don't, I'm not discrediting. I mean, they, they very well could have, you know, Flamel could have been chopping up muggles for all we really know, but, um, <laughs> You know, it, I, it could I secretly be. throw shoes at nuns when they're not yeah. looking, so... Just, yeah. I, mean, um... I trip people. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take away from how great and awesome Dumbledore is. Yeah. No. But, I mean, like, even Albert Einstein helped create, like, the atomic bomb, which killed so many people, and... Gandalf was a very manipulative person. Gandalf when manipulated people. Dumbledore fucking manipulated everyone. Yeah. Merlin definitely manipulated, um, uh, at least a little bit of King Arthur the way he wants to go. Yeah. I haven't seen we're that. Just going down, we're just going down all the sorcerers right now. <laughs> Like, like, especially speaking of Gandalf, like the first thing he gives the King Third into uh, making give back his strength, he gives him his sword, a weapon of war, a weapon of violence, and that's what he gives him to get his strength back, to get him in the mindset, like, oh, I need to defend myself. That's why Rohan's going to go to war with Isengard. Anyway, that's a total other podcast. And then Justin's in the background, like, ah, ah, which he, which I told him while we were doing the Harry Potter podcast, he's like, I want in. So he, there may be a, one other person who may be joining us for the further. Oh, podcast. you're going to hear this microphone whip around like 360 <laughs> degrees, Dad. I'm, 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 I'm thinking, like, I think I need an audio mixer just so I have multiple mic inputs going into here so I can have a few mics going at the same time. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it may just end up doing like that because I'm kind of feeling bad just whipping this back and forth, like, <laughs> like, uh, it's working. Kind of working, yeah. Kind of like, but I just feel like well, there's a few things we could have missed. We've missed and stuff like that, and we're whipping it back and forth like yeah. a, Will, a Will Smith child and stuff like that. Oh my God. <laughs> she whipped her hair back and forth. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> just, woo. Okay. Okay. Back to Potter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Final thoughts. Would you recommend this book to people? I have a question on your final thoughts question. <laughs> in your, do you mean uh, solo or as like a starter to the series? Like, would I just be like, "Hey, just read Sorcerer's Stone," or am I saying like you got to read all the books, which automatically means you start at Sorcerer's Stone? I mean, the series you cannot be out of order. No, it, it's one of those that you need to read in order and stuff like that. Because there's little details, like everything in Sorcerer's Stone. There, everything in Sorcerer's Stone plays out. It's not like like a Sherlock Holmes story. You can pretty much pick up any. It's pretty much yeah, yeah. I, I, Sherlock doing Sherlock things. Yeah, uh, no, but you or James Bond. You pick it up like he's doing. He's another adventure. Oh, he's when's he going to bang the chick? Yeah, and kill someone. Yeah, yeah. No, but in this, it's like all those hints, especially in the final scene where Harry, where Harry's asking Dumbledore those questions when he's in the hospital wing. Yeah, it all comes back in the seventh book, and it's like holy crap. This, Wait, 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 what do you mean? Like, he's like, um, the first question Harry asks him is why Voldemort, why is this, you know, Voldemort came after me? And Dumbledore was like, and naturally the first question you ask me is something that I can't answer right now. Because he's always playing mind games with him. No, because, I mean, he explains himself. He's like, I don't know if I was right or wrong about that, but it's like, I kept it from you because you're 11 years old. Yeah. 
And you, how, how would I say like, oh, you were the chosen one. And so that's why he killed you and your family. He tried to kill you along with your family. I mean, he asked some, Harry was asking some questions and they're all questions. Some of the questions like, I can't answer right now, Harry, you're going to have to just wait. Mm-hmm. And they do play out later. And, and Dumbledore in one of his more vulnerable moments comes out saying, I'm fucked up. Mm-hmm. And flat out fucked up when you asked me these. I should have told you as soon as you asked me, but I didn't. Right. I mean, I mean, it's just something like that. It just, you have to read the first book to get everything. It's not like I could tell you that uh, Prisoner of Azkaban was my favorite book, and that's a book that you should start reading, but some cues from the first two won't make sense in the third book, and then you're going out of order, and it's like, well, it's a Tarantino movie. Yeah. And as you were saying in the question before, like, as a solo book, like, if you had to read one book, would you choose this book? Absolutely not. Like, if I was on a desert island, this is not the one out of the series I would bring. I would bring a Harry Potter book, but it would definitely not be the first one. Which one would it be? I'd bring Goblet of Fire. Everyone fights me on it, but Goblet of Fire is where shit goes down. That's the one that's coming with me on my desert island. I don't care how many times I read it, but this is not the book. Because um, it's almost kind of like when I read uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Mm -hmm. the first 200 pages were awful. Everybody said, just hang in there, buckle your bootstraps down, and just get through them because I promise you the book gets better. And I'm like reading it, and they're throwing all these names at it. I'm just like, this is awful. Oh, all those families and stuff like that. And And you're trying to like piece it together. I'm like, this is awful. And then you admit it's like, don't quote me exactly. It's not page 201, but like around that. And all of a sudden it gets good and you you can't put it down. You just, you have to get to the end. So that's what happened to me with this, which is the reason why I was intrigued enough to go to Chamber of Secrets. But if, if this was like a, a series, a different series, I don't think I would have continued on. So it was just enough to get me, eh, I'll pick up the second. I'm kind of curious to see where it goes. Um, but even the second with me and my snake, uh, snake phobia, I, I was willing to keep going. So this is my least favorite of the entire series. Really? Yes. Huh. I wouldn't go as far as saying it's the least favorite of my entire series. I feel like the majority of Half-Blood Prince could be omitted. I mean, there's nothing that happens in Half Blood Prince until the very, very end. And I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> that's it, probably my least favorite. Oh, it, 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 it's it, it's essential to the series, but it it's the book where the least goes down. I mean, I mean, Sorcerer Stone. There's it's not as dark and it's not as gritty as the other books. There's so much warmth it, in this book. There's so much. That's the. I feel like, um, in my mind. It, the series is broken down into three different pieces. The first two books have the most warmth. Yeah. The third book is where it starts getting cold. And then uh, once it hits um, – and the fifth book is where it goes dark. Yes. It just flat out goes dark and then it doesn't come back until the – very end of Death the, of the House. Yeah, the very end of the seventh. And it, I love that. I mean I love – I mean I can't say I hated any of these books. But uh, I mean Sorcerer Stone is definitely the leap – the, the diving board into the rest of the Harry Potter world and because of how well it's written and how much in, interest there is because there's so much depth and you can go in every direction with it. It's like, oh, well, what other creatures are there? And it's like, well, what other sports are there? What does he mean? Like, what's your Quidditch team? What word, uh, what does um what does Bill do in Egypt? It goes on and on and it's like, 
okay. What's this? Exactly. What's this? What's this? You get a lot of questions out of this. That doesn't make me go like, uh, it's almost like, you know, the introduction or like a summary to a, a book you want to read that yeah. you just kind of skip over. Mm-hmm. Like some like famous person pen, like this is the, the best book ever. Everything. I'm just like, yeah, bye. And that's kind of how, I, like you have to, with this, you have to, you're right. If I jump straight into Chamber of Secrets, I never would have known what was going on. But because they, unlike other series that kind of hand walk you, the first chapter is kind of like, this is what happened last book. Um, they don't do that in Harry Potter. Um, but they, they, give like a par- they give a paragraph each book yeah. to saying like, oh, Harry Potter's not your average boy. He's a wizard. And shit went down the previous book. That's pretty. And but that's it. And then it's like, OK, forget about those books. We're moving on. Um, not really forget, but like just that's all the explanation you're going to get. I mean, but this is the book where. If you're going to read the series, you have to start here. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. If I'm going to be on a desert island with a one Harry Potter book, it's not going to be the, this one. It's going to be the third one. And mine would be the second one. It's weird. Uh, nobody chooses Chamber of Secrets mm. or something like that. Most people, like, I, I, I was curious enough. I looked up lists, like, how people rank them. Mm-hmm. Chamber of Secrets are usually dead last or second to last. And I never understood why. Because it, it, a book is the villain. And it's a memory, not really. I thought that was a good twist, though. Yeah. But, um... No, but, I mean, other books, like... Half, like, Half-Blood Prince would probably be my least favorite. Because I, I guess the point's made. Because yeah. nobody, nothing happens until yeah. the very end. The very end, where... And, it, and it's just like one of those things. Once you finish, you're like, all right, I want to read Deathly Hallows now. We're going it, right right now. But, like, you're, like, a year, a year and a half until the next publishing date. If yeah. that. And then, then like, but like Order of the Phoenix, I thought was, like... My problems with it, it was very long. It, it was that was the longest book in the series. Yes, and I feel like it unnecessary, some, uh, at least some parts. But then again, it could be just the memories, the memories coming back of like me trying to race to get it done, mm-hmm. and it is me like that frustration of it, like how long it went on. It may not be the story itself. It may just be like trying to read as fast as I could. Yeah. Who knows? Well, and you you know how you mentioned like the prologue, like some chapters are like this explains everything. Um, Yes, I would see Sorcerer's Stone as that to the rest of the series. A book series that doesn't do it right is uh, The Lord of the Rings. No, because... Because the first chapter is concerning hobbits, which is literally like 50 pages of just bullshit about hobbits. And it's yeah. just like, I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> just get to the plot. And even when they get to the main story, it's like, get to the fucking plot. It literally takes Frodo five years to get his ass in gear. I thought it was like I thought it was longer. I thought it was like I thought it was like over a decade. It was it was so I I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get through. through well, it. well, well, Tolkien was not a author. No, he was, he was an English. He, he was a linguist. Yeah, he he created a world to create his new language. There were so many huge words in that book, and it's like okay, I'm not the best reader here, but it's like okay, dumb it down a little bit, please. But even then, it's like, thank God the movies exist because. Yeah, no, no. What what Peter Jackson, his, Fran Walsh, and Philip Boyens did is made it really accessible, not just for for mythology nerds. And that's also, I think, one of the maybe, maybe it's one of the things him and uh, C.S. Lewis didn't see eye to eye because Lewis wrote very accessible stories with the mm-hmm. uh, Chronicles of Narnia, and but also his Christian sy- symbolism was was really on the nose when it came to uh, with Narnia. And that's another thing with. Uh, Tolkien being a recovering Catholic yeah. really didn't see eye to eye with. But bringing it back to Harry Potter, yes, all those you're... writings in those series do play, play out in the Harry Potter universe. Yeah. Because you could see some of the, I mean, for the longest time, I always saw a Dementor as like a ringwraith type of creature. Totally. 
Uh, Aragog and Aragon. Exactly. It just Shelob and Aragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like you sorry, see, <laughs> it's a it's it's, a, it's an argument I've had for a long time. I mean, it, but like we're like she. Uh, the way J.K. Rowling just handled everything in the book, it's like, okay, she talked about all these creatures, and they're so still true to the source material that she didn't change them for the sake of changing change them for the sake of changing them like some other series known as Twilight. Well, let's let's, well, let's wrap it up before <laughs> we we descend down the pillar of hate. But no, she the way she just take took previous. Um, fantasy yeah. and mythology, and just converted it to this very readable book. Book, mm-hmm. it's just oh, amazing, and it's amazing how she was homeless beforehand, and then just now it, it's like one of the w- richest women in the world. Yes. Now, I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast. I know the many, <laughs> many tangents that came down of Harry Potter, which I knew was going to happen, and at least Dakota and I are well aware of our tangents that we run off in a million different directions. So. If you want people to follow you, Nikki, where can they find you on social media? Um, let's see. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Um, I'm pretty sure they're all under Nikki Muggle. If not, it's Nikki Muggle One because I'm super original. <laughs> <laughs> Dakota, uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm um, also on Instagram, Dakota.Wegan, and Twitter, Dakota Dakota Wegan at like that's my handle i'm not that creative um i do a bunch of reviews online uh those are posted to dvr.com i take all sorts of cartoon series good and bad watch them all for you it's like pulling teeth sometimes and then write a full-fledged review my uh dvr page is dw drawings so just find me there all right and if you want to follow me you can follow me on twitter on twitter timothy rooney too because some asshole took my handle bastard yeah and i tried turning it to like aka tim rooney because after doing the jessica jones review because it was mostly supposed to be aka jessica jones but i was having problems with that so like all right fuck it it's staying at timothy rooney too you can follow my youtube page through the lens productions where our latest short film halloween reborn is up where myself and the two guests help create with another (laughs) short film on the way as i slowly die right now hopefully i'll get to finish this before i i kick the bucket so hope everybody's enjoyed this Harry Potter podcast. We'll hope we talk enough about the book itself and not just about all the, the extraneous things that go along with the entire series. And we'll be back soon to talk about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Hagrid, I need you to stop drinking for a second and get Harry. But Dumbledore, it's Nickel Shot Friday. You have a drinking problem, you fat fuck. <laughs> you should have got your nose fixed. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>